I could do that live now. I could just do the cricket sound effect. Avon calling. Oh. Bill's got a new toy. Wait, Scott had an idea. <laughs> or maybe that was something else. <laughs> Shit. Do you mind? Do exactly. you mind? <laughs> oh, okay. I gotta play my pinball machine. <laughs> ah, tilt, damn it. What the? Right. Oh, are sorry, we, we I got a call. Are we what? ready? <laughs> I'm done now. That was what. That was back in. That was the uh, the offices of Spade, Archer, and Robinson. <laughs> so we're going to what? Twenty six tonight. Yes. Yes, unless we double up and do them all. I don't think so. I'm I'm too beat. There's no way. I'm I'm gonna fall asleep now. We got the beat. Yeah, you're probably beat from just being out in the cold. <sighs> we got two feet. Hey Scott, brace yourself. I think it's gonna be in the fifties in the morning. <laughs> Winter is coming. <laughs> eh, kiss my ass. It's gonna all right, be I'm a good. Wave. Well, that's, that's all relative. Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another movie countdown episode of Back to the Bins. Ooh, I'm Paul Spataro, and once again, seated theoretically by my side on Skype is Dr. Bill Robinson. Dun, dun, dun. And back from assignment in the Everglades, where he was looking at Disneyland, we have Scott huh? Gardner. They are not going to understand huh. that at all. Scott uh, Gardner. That's that's <laughs> one of the best ones yet. That's how I'm feeling tonight, too. <laughs> we could do who, but that's that's the wrong letter. So uh, anybody who doesn't get the reference I just gave, keep listening to Back to the Bins, and one day we'll cover a book that will clear it up for you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but we're so. back now to do part three of our movie countdown, the... The list of top 100 movies as voted by you, the listener. Use guys. Use guys. Guys and Top 100 comic book movies. Top 100 comic book movies. As defined by the listeners. When when I first asked for it, I asked for comic movies, and somebody sent me a list of comedies. (laughs) W.C. Fields, Abbott and Costello. I'm still not entirely convinced that everybody was on the same page with this project, but but anyway, I digress. But you know what? That was part of the idea. Because people said, when I first asked for it, people said, well, what's the criteria? And I said, you, you create your own criteria. And that was because I didn't necessarily want everybody on the same page. Uh, I didn't want a homogenous list. Oh, good Lord. We're going to do it. this again, and I'm going to run it. What's that? <laughs> We're going to do this again, and I'm going to do it. Yes, yeah, so it's going to be Superman the movie and nothing else. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> I know you are. That's why I ran it. <laughs> My, Top five: I, Superman one through four, and Supergirl. There you go. There you have you have my list. You can see that mine is is more than just Superman or Superman movies. I, I feel I feel like mine was a fairly Jack balanced list. Well, I guarantee you, some of the people whose lists you don't like 
would probably return the return the feeling towards yours. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. No, you know, it's 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 like religion and politics. You know, it's this it's the same kind of thing. So yeah, that's fine. And the gardener. It is. It has been interesting to see what people's interpretations of comic book movie is, though. That that has been an interesting thing because. I think it all comes down to, you know, what do you think of as comics in the first place? Because for me, I mean, with all the fun stuff that we've covered on this show and, you know, we've we've tried to branch out and cover, you know, different genres and different companies and all kinds of different things. At the end of the day, comic books to me is still superheroes. So my my movie list of comic book movies <laughs> really reflects that, I think. So, but, you know, that's my that's my personal list. So. Mm-hmm. And your list was given the same, same weight as everyone else's. That's your, see, that's the mistake you made right there. To me, that's the don't, that's don't the beauty of the... this whole pro- oh. process. See, mine should have more weight. Well, because it's cause just it's just me. accept the fact that you personally have more weight. <laughs> oh, that was rough. <laughs> oh, that's it. Show's over. I'm out. Oh, stop! You don't have more weight than me anyway. That was harsh. That was uncalled for. I'm glad Bill's here. What? <laughs> There's a, what, what was that from? What? Where, uh, like, like somebody was attacking somebody else. It was, it was, it was like a comedy. And uh, the person who was getting attacked was like, you know, Bill, you're my witness. And then the other guy was like, close your eyes, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you what it's from. That does sound familiar, though. I, I can't think of what it was either, but that, that's what I'm picturing in my mind. Anyway, you want to jump right into this thing? Or does yeah, sure. Or does have any, uh, more commentary to, for us to discuss? No, I think this is going to be a very interesting one, because I'm just kind of perusing the list here, and I'm like, hmm, hmm. Well, as we, the higher we get on the list, hmm. the more extreme we get as a general rule, although there's always a couple of exceptions. Well, you keep saying that, but I'm just not feeling it you don't see <laughs> more on this list than in the last one a little bit All more right, so i, I it. think so it's going to be when it trap. gets down <laughs> i think it's going to be when it gets to the to the 25 i think that's when it really starts to kind of shape up to be more like what 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 i would ex- what i originally expected i guess i should say well because you expected everybody to vote for the same things and i hope not, that's people not vote nece- for a wide all right variety. that's not necessarily true i just i'm just saying that i have a very fixed idea in my head of what i think of as a comic book movie and i continue to be i mean the very first one that we're going to cover tonight i look at that and go huh well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read I'm gonna start right off. We, we're going with number fifty, which made its way onto two lists, and I'm gonna start by reading the entry from Wikipedia. Yes, okay. that's what I was just uh, ca- calling up before, because um, uh, I was refreshing myself on the on the on the what is it? Five different plots, five okay. different stories in it. Well, Tales from the Crypt is a 1972 British horror film directed by Freddie Francis. It is an anthology film consisting of five separate segments based on stories from EC Comics. Mm. How does that not fit the definition of comic movie deal? It's not a superhero movie by any stretch. (laughs) No, it does. I I, I mean, it's right in the first sentence. Or the second sentence, excuse me. Okay, okay. I'm just saying. Don't get excited. So by, (laughs) by this definition, then, would say, like, Creepshow 2... 
uh, be a contender for for being somewhere in this list. And it's it's it's. I, I would I, say I, no. I'm running the risk of repeating myself again, but if you thought it did, then it does. <laughs> okay, that's the right. idea. This one, this one, I say would be more truer to the definition than than the later creep than the later Tales from the Crypt, um, right? Movies. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen this one. It sounds you probably have. You just yeah. didn't realize. You, you might have. Like I, for years, I only saw bits and pieces of it. I've never. I don't think I've seen the whole thing all the way through. How does this relate it. to the television series? Is are they related to each other at all, or is it just the the name? Well, yeah, I think, yeah. I think they both are. I think they both take their inspiration from the EC comics, but I think that's right. the connection. Right. I mean, you do have the Crypt Keeper, which is played by. Um, uh, really? Is that who played it? Robertson. <laughs> right. Yes. So th- this uh, this was like in 1972, and on Wikipedia the cast list is Joan Collins, Peter Cushing, Roy Detrice, Richard Green, Ian Hendry, Patrick McGee, Barbara Murray, Nigel Patrick, Robin Phillips, and Ralph Richardson. Fine hmm. British cast. It would be Sir Ralph Richardson, I believe, before he passed. I think he was granted a sir, wasn't he? Don't know. Got Interesting. So, Bill, you're probably the most familiar with this. In fact, uh, I'm just looking again at the Wikipedia page. Each story, they have a cross-reference as to which issue of Tales from the Crypt or which EC comic it's from. Oh, so it does. I didn't see that. Huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, because one is... Uh, wasn't there later a, a Christmas movie, like a, of, of a killer Santa? Uh, I want to say, didn't it have the guy that just died recently that we were saying was on L.A. Law? Didn't he play a deranged Santa Claus in addition to the mildly retarded guy on in the law firm? You're talking about, he, uh, what's his name, uh, Benny? Yeah, yeah. I thought he played like a deranged Santa uh, in a movie. That's possible. I mean, he did do some wacky roles later. But anyway, the like the first story has got Joan Collins who kills her husband on on Christmas Eve. But then um, uh, there's a serial killer dressed as Santa outside her house, but she can't call the cops because she has a dead body in her house. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> and then uh, oh, and then like her 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 daughter uh, who's in the house lets the guy in the house because she believes he's Santa. You know her like little daughter, and then of course, then uh, Santa kills Joanne Collins. Joan Collins. Yeah, Joanne. Well, Joe, Joanne, Joan. You know, and and, and meanwhile, out in the street, Captain Kirk was crying. Yeah. <laughs> DeForest it's Kelly. Kind of was funny. Like, you every you time did? you know she's in a movie and she gets killed, they cut to a scene of Spock holding Kirk back, and he's just tears running down his face. You had to, Jim. You had to. I could have saved her, Jim. You know what you've done? He knows, Doctor. He knows, Doctor. So I don't but see a that's movie the one that I jumps what's the that? most. There's another one I remember of a guy that's like starving the people in a in a house for the blind, and then like the blind people all get together and build this like razor blade maze, and at the end of the maze they had put the guy's pet German Shepherd and starved it. So then. Uh, by the time the guy gets through the na- maze, he's all cut up and bleeding, and the, do- and the dog, <laughs> the dog eats him. So yeah, uh, good times, good times. Oh, and the other one that I remember the most is the, uh, um, where, what is it? Uh, the woman gets her wish to 
to uh, she gets granted three wishes. You know, it's that whole you know the thing with the monkey's monkey paw, paw thing. Yep, 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 yep. Where she wants to uh, she wants to be rich, and she gets rich because her lawyer uh, because her um, uh, her husband dies, but then she wants to bring him back to life, and he brings him back to life. But he's already been embalmed, so he's in pain. And then she tries to kill him, and then she wants him to to live forever, every bit. But she had tried to cut him up, so now like all the pieces are alive. Oh man, it, that that was a really freaky one. But uh, yeah, I, I I remember that. You guys don't don't remember this this movie at all. I not really. I know I've well, seen it. With- with Rob Richardson, they're all sitting in a crypt, and he just basically tells the story to each each one of. He tells a story, and then like he's looking at a person as he's telling it, and then they go into the story, and then at the end he did, he does the reveal that aha, I'm death, and this is actually all what all happened to you, bah, and that's it. Now I'm gonna have trouble sleeping tonight. Bah. Of course, yeah, it would I, be, I know I've seen this you know, over the years, but it's been a long, long time, and I think, like you, I don't, I don't think I ever saw it all in one sitting. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, moving on the list to number forty-nine, uh, Wonder Woman, the animated feature, and th- this was hmm. one of DC's. Uh, DC has made a lot of good animated features. I think this is one of the better ones of those. Even have you guys watched this when, one? When did this come out? Uh, probably about five years ago, maybe a little longer. Hmm. I don't know if I've seen this. Yeah, I, I saw it. I, I watched it when it uh, when it first came out. I think I've only seen it the once. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm well overdue to to see it again at some point. Same uh, here. But I I really enjoyed it. I I really liked the the interplay between Diana and Steve Trevor because Steve Trevor for a for a change. He wasn't just a male damsel in distress, if you know what I mean. He he was his own fully formed character. He was kind of an action hero in his own right. Um, so he he was more on, uh, you know, not not necessarily on the same level as Diana, but he wasn't just, uh, you know, it wasn't just taking a woman and putting her in the superhero role and then her love interest was filling you know what is traditionally the female role you know so he wasn't he wasn't just you know like i said before not not just a male damsel in distress and i liked that there was, there was a great scene where they went out to dinner that i remember where they're talking and you know he's he's being very just just a guy and then all of a sudden he opens up and he's you know he's just kind of letting her into you know his his soul essentially and then you realize that accidentally he had like i think he got like his foot or something tangled up in her lasso of truth and so it's like you know just suddenly you know being uh you know very open with her and telling her the you know the truth about exactly what you know what he was feeling and and thinking and that that was a cute little scene i remember really liking that and uh i I don't remember the line or the setup now but there was a really good boob joke in there somewhere too when uh when he first showed up on uh paradise island that i thought was actually pretty clever so i mean it was well written i mean it was a very well written thing remember it had some really good action i remember it being a little uh i don't want to say dark but a little grittier than you would kind of expect from a wonder woman animated uh movie it was a little more mature mature yeah and uh i mean they had quite the cast i mean kerry russell did wonder woman uh the actor who got cast for every superhero movie for a while was Steve Trevor, Nathan Fillion. 
Aries. Oh, I didn't realize that was Nathan filling his. Oh, okay. I did not realize that at all. Yeah, this was 2009 is what I'm seeing here. It's almost eight years ago already. Yeah. Artemis was Rosario Dawson. We're seeing her again now. Uh, Who else we have? Oliver Platt, Mark Helgenberger, Virginia Madsen. Uh, So, you know, nice, decent, decent voice cast in this one. The animation, I remember, is being pretty crisp and, and sharp. Right. I don't really have much memory of the score. I don't know if, if that stood out to you at all. Yeah, it's uh, Christopher Drake, who's done a number of the DC animated movies. And uh, this was a really good one. I like this one a lot. He, he tends to be one of the better composers of these animated movies. I'm trying to think what else he did off the top of my head. I, I want to say he did one of the one or more of the Batman ones. I'm trying to remember if he did under the red hood or not because that's one that i really really like and i think he did that i'm not on a quick glance yeah here it is yeah he did do that one and that's a great score as well so yeah he's he's one of the better composers i like him he also did um shoot i'm drawing a blank i know he i know there's another one he did as well that i really like i'm just drawing a blank as to which one it is off the top of my head but good composer and bill you said you didn't see this right if I did, I don't. It's not sticking out to me. It, uh, so I'm going to say no. Well, like I said, I, I my memory of it, and it's been a while since I've seen it. Like Scott, I'm due for a rewatch on it. But my memory is it's one of the better of the animated features. And is it on I would Netflix? Recommend picking it up and checking it out. Maybe I'll see if it's still on Netflix. Yeah, I don't. Oh, think yeah. It is. Christopher Drake did uh, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies as well, and which uh, is another good one. Yeah, Justice League: Crisis of Two Earths. Batman Under the Red Hood, All-Star Superman, Green Lantern, Emerald Knight. So, yeah, he's done a bunch of them. He's he's done some of the, the more popular ones uh, of the, the animated DC movies. Good composer. So the next one, I don't, I don't know if you saw it, Bill. I know you have it, Scott. I uh, own it, but I haven't seen it yet. Batman v Superman got uh, 12 points in the poll. And... Just to you know, as as I have said before, uh, I enjoyed Man of Steel. I thought I thought it was a perfectly acceptable take on the Superman uh, presentation, and and there were things about it I didn't like, but overall I did enjoy it. So I had some level of anticipation for this one. I, I can't say I was psyched for it, but I, I you know I saw it pretty soon after it opened, and I was looking forward to it. And I got to tell you. This one left me kind of flat. I did not like the storyline, and the biggest problem for me was I absolutely hated the way they portrayed Lex Luthor. It just, and and the whole motivation behind the fight between the two. I, I think, I thought the actual acting and casting was decent. Even Luthor, for the way it was written, they cast the right type of actor for it. I just hated how it was written. So, uh, you know, I, I, my, my biggest problem with this was the writing and the direction, not so much the, the cast or the acting. But I really walked away from this one disappointed. I did not care for it overall. And I guess I'm the only one of the three of us who's actually seen it, so I don't know if you guys would have anything else to add to that. Well, I mean, other than the fact that I guess we uh, we don't get to see Pa Kent in the second one, Thank yes, goodness, because oh really? Oh man, now I really don't want to see it. Is he still making bad decisions for his son? Maybe. Oh, Jesus. 
<laughs> there's there's a, a flashback scene with him in it, or actually, oh, what is it's it? Flashback so much as a. Uh, is it when he's being hurled through the air by the tornado, going, you know, maybe I should have had him save me. Yeah. <laughs> like in in Clark's mind, where he's communicating with him at one point, and just not good. Or to me, not good. Obviously, two people voted for it. Two people liked it. As I've said, you know, beauty is in the behi- the eye of the beholder. But I just, you know, I can't agree. But I respect your uh, opinions. The next one I think you guys will have a little bit more of a positive take on is... Well, I'm one of the people that picked uh, it. Huh? What'd you say, Bill? I said I'm one of the people that put it on the list. Did you? Okay, so run with this one. Go ahead. Say say the name again, because I think you got... Boom. Ah! Savior of the universe. Flash Gordon, man. Nothing. Moving on. Oh, I'm sorry. We wait on me to say something. Well, um, so if you well, had Bill, any... why, why don't you tell us why this made your list? Oh, uh, Other well, than Flash I mean, Gordon, man. Flash Gordon, man. Well, no, because this is one. I kind of went awesome. with the. I went with some of the. Uh, kind of like the same reason that I picked the Shadow. If if I was to come by this movie and it would be on this, this kind of goes along with our thing for Deep Space Nine when we rate stuff. That you know, would this pass the flipping through the dial test? And if I was flipping through and I saw Flash Gordon, I'd stop no matter where it is in the movie, and I'd watch it till the end, just because I saw the movie so many times on HBO when I was a kid, and I love Queen, so those two things mixed mixed together in a movie, and yes, it is a comic property as well. So to me, it it just fits. All around fits the bill. I mean, you got Max Moncito, you got Brian Blessed, you've got future James Bond, uh, Dalton, T- Timothy Dalton. You've got um, one of the guys from Rocky Horror. You've got uh, oh, what's his name? He played one of the the Ranger guys on on the planet. Damn it! Now I can't remember his name. You've got um, Clytus. Released, you know, oh, she enjoyed the bullworms. Uh, I mean, it's just awesome. It's an awesome movie. You guys got anything to say about it? Uh, um, I remember when this came out, and I know it's a little bit of a, I, I'm a blasphemer, but uh, I, I wasn't that crazy about this. Not that I thought it was terrible or anything, it just it never, it never pulled me in, I never really cared for it. Maybe I was just a couple of years too old when it opened, I don't know. It's got Jet Porkins in it too. Does it? He's the guy that gets smashed by the, uh, uh, when Flash and Dale crash the plane into the, like, observatory slash greenhouse that, uh, uh, what is it? Hans, uh, was it Reinhardt? Was his name? No, 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 that's, no, wait. no that's, that's in the shadow. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Wrong doctor. Zarkov, Zarkov, where he's got the rocket ship in the um, in the greenhouse and his assistant tries to run. And then when he goes outside, that's where the plane crashes and then the plane basically runs him over. And then that's why he has to take Flash and Dale because he needs a second person to operate the rocket uh, to put the to press the foot pedals down. Blah 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 blah. So, yeah, that's he's he bites it early on in the movie. Gets run over by a crashing plane. Jet Porkins, rest in peace, buddy. William Hopkins. I can I can see this one making the list because I know that this is a favorite for a lot of people generally around our age because this was one of those perennial HBO films that you know mm-hmm. seemed like it was just always on, you know, when we were growing up. I saw it a lot of times, and it's it's another one of those movies where, start to finish, I, I could probably count on one hand how many times I saw the movie. But you know, if you oh, yeah. count just flipping through the channels and hey, Flash Gordon's on, and and just you know being something that you just couldn't flip past, you'd sit and watch it. 
than I probably saw it hundreds of times. That said, I haven't seen it in a long, long time. I mean, probably we're probably talking decades. So I'm I'm kind of curious to see it again and see how it holds up and everything. Um, but I remember always digging it, and I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but I can tell you that the bulk of my Flash Gordon knowledge is is called from this movie. You know, I beyond <laughs> this movie, I have very little exposure to to Flash Gordon. Um, I always liked the movie. But I always liked the movie in the same way that I liked, like the motor, the motorcycle helmet wearing Captain America movie, you know, and and the made for TV Spider-Man movies with uh, with what's his name from Sound of Music, and you know those those cheesy things to where <laughs> if I went back and watched them now, I'd probably be like, oh god, these are terrible. So that's one of the reasons I haven't gone back to watch Flash Gordon in a long time is I'm I'm not sure if I would think that it would hold up necessarily. Um, I'm not the biggest Queen fan in the uni- you know, in the world, so that always kind of, you know, the the music always kind of, I'll be honest, kind of grated on me a little bit. Um, but one thing, my, probably my biggest memory of this movie, the thing that I used to, you know, again, if I'd be flipping channels and come across it, and it was on where I would actually sit and watch it was I always liked the scene where they attack at the very end of the movie. Because, yeah, and that music that they play. There was a video game that Chris uh, yeah, Honeywell I and I used to play all the time because they had it at the local Ames store, and it was called Vanguard. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those games that we probably put a thousand quarters into trying to beat the damn game. And there was a, a couple of, I, it was either the final level of the game or it was whenever you got a power up, I forget. But there was something that you did in the game and for just like, I don't know, like 30 seconds or, or something like that, you would become invulnerable and it would, and it would play, play that music. music. Yep. And I always thought that that was really cool. So in my mind as a kid, that part of the movie that music came from the game little did i know at the time that you know that's actually a a piece of like classical music but i didn't realize that then somehow i I thought wow that's weird that they they got the music from this game you know i just just (laughs) thought that was bizarre so i used to you know keep watching the movie over and over just for that musical moment i really liked that but beyond that uh i don't have a whole lot on this it was funny i was listening to something not long ago i can't remember what it was now where somebody was talking about how, <clears throat> how it is you know very common for people our age that again grew up with HBO and grew up you know as maybe a more casual kind of Star Wars fan how many of them confuse the empire you know scenes in the empire strikes back with scenes in flash gordon particularly the swamp scenes and I cannot remember for the life of me what show it was I was listening to that was talking about this, but it was really interesting because I, you know, I of course never confuse him because I, you know, I could probably recite The Empire Strikes Back backwards to you. But apparently, there's a there's a common thing where there are people in the world that will swear that like the scene where Flash puts his, you know, he has to put his hand into that tree stump is actually Luke in The Empire Strikes Back, you know? And I just thought that that was very interesting because I can see where that could happen, you know, if you were a more casual fan. But, you know, of course, that, that that's not me. I would never make that mistake. But I, I just thought that that was really interesting because whoever it was, the host I was listening to has said that he has had, I guess, several 
um, you know, friendly arguments with people over the years, insisting that, you know, one way or the other, it was one other, one or the other of the movies and, and they were wrong, you know, in the scenes that they were recalling and attributing to the wrong film. So I just thought that was interesting. Okay. And that was, um, in that tree scene, um, the guy from Rocky, uh, was, uh, not Rocky, Rocky Balboa, but Rocky Horror was, was Richard O'Brien. He, he was one of the, uh, one of the, um, the Rangers, I guess, or what are the, well, whatever Prince Valens, wow. whatever planet they they were on, but uh, he, he played Riff Raff in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Other but, than Tim Curry, Tim Curry, I couldn't I couldn't tell you somebody that was in Rocky Horror if I tripped. What? Over. Yeah, what? I, I, Barry Bostwick, yeah. Megaforce, Susan Sarandon. Yeah, I didn't Meatloaf either. <laughs> I, I that was one of those movies I I never made it through. I, I've never <sighs> seen it. You know, beyond just the first. You didn't try to like watch it on TV, did you? No, it was uh, there was a midnight movie showing at our local theater, and a bunch of us went, and all hell broke loose at the thing. And after maybe I don't know a half hour, forty minutes into the movie, they shut the movie off and kicked everybody out. And that was the end of midnight movies. Numerous, numerous showings. In fact, someday I have a whole entire episode. A real life with Dr. Bill, like major, like twenty four hour story, but but I I'm not going to to go into it here. It would take too long. <laughs> well, we we all thank you though. You're <laughs> so uh, this movie showcases a pre James Bond in Timothy Dalton, right? Mm-hmm. And next on our list, we showcase a pre James Bond Daniel Craig. Number forty six oh, really? on our list is 2002's Road to Perdition. Now, this is the, one of the rare comic book movies that I saw without knowing it was a comic book movie until after I had seen it. And I thought it is that was... that Tom Hanks in it? Yes, Tom Hanks and... Uh, is that Viggo Mortensen or is that uh, not yes. History of Violence? Oh, he is in that Viggo too? Viggo Mortensen is in this as well. I try You're to like the buzzing now. of flies to him. No, perhaps he is not. My <laughs> mistake. Viggo. <laughs> it is... Uh, Oh, let's see, Tom You're Hanks. You're thinking of History of Violins. Yeah. History of Violins. Paul Newman, Daniel Craig. Uh, no no Viggo Mortensen that I'm aware of. But uh, let's see, give you a quick little synopsis on this thing somewhere in here. Uh, Mike Sullivan and Connor Rooney are Mike two Mike Sullivan, henchmen. isn't that isn't that John Goodman's character in Monsters, Inc.? That's Sully. Sully. Oh, Mike is the one I... Yeah, Mike Wazowski. Mind. Yeah. Never mind, that joke just totally fell flat. Yeah. (laughs) Of elderly Chicago-based Irish-American mobster John Rooney, Connor's father. In many respects, John treats Mike more as his son, who he raised as his own after Mike was orphaned, than the volatile Connor, who nonetheless sees him as the heir apparent to the family business. One evening, Mike's eldest son, 12-year-old Michael Sullivan Jr., who has no idea what his father does for a living, witnesses Connor and his father gun down an associate and his men. The situation gone wrong, initiated from an action by Connor. Court witnesses the, witnessing the incident, Michael is sworn to secrecy about what he saw. Regardless, Connor, not wanting any loose ends, makes an attempt to kill Mike, his wife, and their two sons. Mike and the surviving members of his family know what they know that they need to go on the run as Connor who has gone into hiding, will be protected through mob loyalty. Uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, I saw this... I saw this again. I had no idea it was a comic movie. I thought it was fairly entertaining. 
but I didn't see it as a really memorable movie overall. Anything that stood out to me is like worth seeing a second time or anything like that. I just thought it was, you know, it was okay. And then later on, I learned it was a comic, but I never have sampled the source material. Okay, well, anyway, I guess, uh, so where are we? So we're, we're, road on the road, road we're on the road to perdition, and I was just asking what your experience was with it. None. You never saw <laughs> I, it? Yeah, I did not see it either. That seems to be the problem tonight. None of us have seen, like, it seems like only one of us has really seen one of each of these movies. Well, or, the next or, one, I'm pretty confident all three of us have seen. Yes, I, I, I think the next two or three, we might get some good discussion. Yeah, I, out. I think we're, we're yeah. you know, we're getting there to the point where we're going to start firing now. Yeah. So the next one on the list, number forty-five, Iron Man three, and uh, I've been on the record numerous times where I've said, you know, when I saw this in the movies, I was disappointed. Then eventually saw it on home video and enjoyed it much more. Uh, I, you know, I guess to some degree, despite the special effects and, and the grandeur of it, I still found it to be more compelling when the smaller aspects of the story could be focused on, you know, more so than, than the, uh, than the special effects. Well, does, um, one of my things that I had a problem with in Iron Man 3 was I wasn't really particularly fond of the whole post-traumatic stress deal that he seemed to be suffering. Yeah. But looking at it now with Age of Ultron in the light that maybe that post-traumatic stress led to him like that imbalance of wanting to build all the, you know, all the uh, the Iron Legion robots. And then, you know, his you know, where I'm going with that, that that maybe him being screwed up like that is what kind of drove him more to create that that. Uh, ah. What am I looking for? Yeah, my mind's racing right now. So, that shield, like shield around the world. You know the the yes, yes. The armor he wanted to protect world. everything. Yeah. You know because of his post traumatic stress and that. Right. You know that kind of like he didn't foresee the long term consequences or what could happen from it. Right. So, I mean, other, other than that, it's a. I like the movie with you know all the various suits of armors and and uh, the music. And it's written by Shane Black, not the music, the movie, if I recall <laughs> correctly, right? Of Didn't Predator Shane Black do? Yes, of Predator Frame, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I thought the post-traumatic stress thing was laid on a little thick, honestly. And, and, and I, I was not a big fan of the, uh, the kid's sidekick. See, the thing for me with this one, this could be an entire episode. And I don't know that I've ever really done much podcast talking about this particular movie so that this might be something to to look at doing an entire episode you know discussing this movie um i'll I'll just say you know a couple quick things on the positive side there's a lot that i like as far as i do like the multiple armors um you know it was nice to go back to iron man after the avengers but this being the first movie after the Avengers, I think at the time seeing it in the theater, and I, I'm the same as you, Paul, I, I walked away from this movie in the theater being pretty disappointed with it, to be honest with you. And a lot of it I, I've tried to examine and think, you know, why was I so disappointed with it? Was it the movie itself or was it my expectations? And over time, I've kind of narrowed it down to it's a little from column A and it's a little from column B. I mean, for one thing, 
it pains me that this movie is ahead of Iron Man 2 on the list because I still maintain Iron Man 2, hell of a lot better movie, and the best of the Iron Man movies. What's very funny is all of the criticisms that people level against Iron Man 2, I think, actually apply to this film, which is just an odd beast to me. Yet, for some reason, those those things don't get leveled against you. You know, the issues on pacing and story and you know dragging in the middle and having too much shit going on at once and all these things that i hear people constantly saying about iron man 2 i I think every single one of those applies to this movie i have some serious problems with this one that said there's a lot of things that i did like about it um my biggest thing with this one though is i just you know i think it's a poor follow-up to the avengers and Again, I know it's my expectations versus what's actually on the screen, but this one has the absolute weakest of all of the post-credit scenes. And I think I think I would rank this movie a hell of a lot higher if it had actually given us what so many of us wanted in the post-credit scenes was a tie-in to Guardians. So many people were expecting that, including me. And when it didn't happen... I was really disappointed. And then not only because it didn't happen, but then what we got was just really lame. You know, him just, you know, at the end of the day, it was just him on the couch talking to Banner who'd fallen asleep at some point. I'm like, really? That that's your big, you know, after you've, you know, you've trained people to become used to something really cool in the post credit scene that that's what you're going to give us. And I was really disappointed by that. So, you know, there is that ironically, This may be the best scored movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that, you know, that's up for some debate. There's, you know, there are some other scores that I think are really, really good and, you know, very high up the list. But this was definitely the first one that I walked away from going, now that was a great score. Mm. I mean, there were there were ones prior to it that I liked, like I liked Captain America and I liked Iron Man 2, and I liked Avengers, but this was the first one where I walked away going, damn, that was awesome. That's a great score. And it is one that I keep going back to and listening to quite often. I, it's it's arguable. I, I may have listened to this score more than any of the other ones because it's just a great score um, as opposed to some of the other ones, and it's very thematic. So I looked at this one, you know, th- you know score-wise, you know, musically... <coughs> as starting to address a lot of the issues that people were having um, with the phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as far as the scoring went. And I I like that the Iron Man theme that got laid down with this movie has carried on into the later movies. You can clearly hear this one referenced in um, Age of Ultron, because, again, scored by the same guy and everything. But I, I think that's really cool. So. I like some of the things it set up for later movies. You know, Bill mentioned Age of Ultron and all that, and I like things that it set up. But overall, this is still pretty far down my personal list on the uh, the list of the MCU movies. That said, I mean, again, you know, keep in mind I should have prefaced with this, but there's not a single one of them I don't like. I mean, I've loved them all um, to varying degrees, and I love this one too. It's you know, it's still a great movie. You know, it's kind of like Star Trek movies. You know, even the ones that you're like, eh, it's not really that great a movie. You still love them because they're Star Trek. I feel the same way about the MCU movies. Still love them because they're all MCU. 
you know, yeah, there's so certain even... franchises that I definitely I'm on board with that. The, so far, the MCU, uh, like as you said, Star Trek, uh, James Bond, it doesn't matter. James I can Bond, watch yeah. Anyone. yeah. Anyone in the anyone in any of the franchises, I can watch anytime. Yeah. Uh, it's probably unfair, and I think you hit on a good point about that. This was the follow up to the Avengers. It's probably unfair that we got our expectations at a level where we were looking for more of the same, I think, and we didn't get more of the same, which right. we probably shouldn't have gotten more of the same, but we got our expectations to to look for that kind of thing. So they gave us something a little different, and that's that's probably more of why it took a while for me to warm up to this one, because I just had to get more removed from the Avengers, I think. Right. Um, yeah, uh, everything you guys said. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Sorry, I just <laughs> got back. Sorry. Uh, I... I, I'm not much of a fan of Guy Pierce, and I was never really a big fan of the Extremist storyline. So those are two things that hurt this one a little bit for me. Right. But ultimately, again, you know, in, in later viewings, I've enjoyed this one. And then they did what I and probably many, many other people, I don't think it was such an original thought on my part, but uh, what I had said I would have liked to have seen, they Guy eventually did pursuit? in that movie in the short Hail to the King. Have you seen that? Yeah. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah. It's uh, basically that, you know, somebody comes, uh, in a nutshell, somebody comes on behalf of the real Mandarin to take Trevor Slattery out because of what he what he did to soil the name. And and I, I, I kind of like that, that, you know, I understand why they didn't want to do the traditional Mandarin on the screen, but I think it really cheapened it to, to turn him into some, you know, character created by an actor. And I was happy to see them at least give a little bit more respect to the so character. So there's still a real Mandarin somewhere? Yeah. yeah. We, never, we never have to see the character. They never I wonder have if we'll see him in Netflix universe. with the Defenders thing. What's that? I wonder if he'll pop up with uh, with Netflix with the Defenders. Well, you never know with that underground thing with the ninjas and whatever it could. Yeah, yeah, with the hand and all that. Mm. But, but, you know, just like I said, giving some respect back to the character... And and if they don't think it's proper to portray it on the screen, that's fine. But you know, don't make a joke of it either. Is my feeling not not a character that's been around since the early '60s and has at times been the arch enemy. You know, I, I, I like to see other people's creations treated with a little bit more respect than that. So, but otherwise, again, I, I definitely got a level of enjoyment out of this one. Yeah, I enjoyed this when I saw it in the theater. I I didn't have any major. Major beefs, yeah. It was a little sad to see the the Mandarin portrayed as a punk. As uh, well, I'm sure you guys were discussing that while I was taking a very important phone call, which uh, I'll tell you guys about later. Not, 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 not you guys listening. You guys on the show with me. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one on our list, number forty four. I think you guys are probably higher on this one than I am. Uh, I it didn't. It didn't make my list, but it's. I do like this movie. I don't ever remember actually sitting through this one. It's the Phantom at number forty-four. Was this out in the nineties or was this the late eighties? Nineteen ninety-six. Wow, that late. Oh, Starring okay. Starring Billy Zane, who's Billy Zane. not really one of my favorite actors, and I think that's one of the reasons why I gave. But, this one. Hmm? but who plays the other Phantom in the movie? Patrick McGowan. Don't you remember he's talking to the other Phantom, a ghost? He's talking to the Phantom before him, and it was played by Patrick McGowan. Okay. That's nice, and that's a nice oh, touch. No, you, you don't like Patrick McGowan? Oh. I love Patrick McGowan. If he was oh, here right man. now, I'd give him some dinner. 
Okay, he'd probably be well. He, he's been dead for a while, so that would be kind of freaky. <laughs> Just sit him out a bowl full he of could brains. Probably handle a meal right now. <laughs> Pulling up the Phantom now, the film. Uh, was now, it Treat Williams? He was the villain in this too. Xander Drax. Then he went on to be in Guardians of the Galaxy. Christy Swanson, who was she he? Was, in... Who played Buffy in the movie? Who was he in Guardians? Correctly. He was he was Drax. Who? Ah, okay. He was Drax. Treat Williams. He wasn't Drax in Guardians. That was <laughs> the wrestler. That would have fallen flatter. <laughs> you had me going for a second. I love the new. Uh, uh... What is he in Guardians? It was nobody. His he name was Drax That's... in this. There was Even I got that man. Catch up. These are the jokes, boy. It's the jokes, man. Treat Williams was in Empire Strikes Back, though. He was one of the guys on the snow planet, one of the guards, one of the rebel dudes. Treat Williams, I originally know from the movie Hair. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's my first experience with Treat Williams. Right, I think my second up. experience with Treat Williams was with him and Joe Piscopo in Dead Heat. Yeah, I remember that one. Was he the character went, that was dead, or was Joe Piscopo? Well, they, spoiler alert, they both ended up dead. But he died first. His character's name was Roger Mortis. Uh-huh, uh-huh, get it? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and so he was brought back to life by Darren McGavin and uh, Vincent Price. Brought back they had to life machi- by Call Kolchak. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Dr. Fibes. And... Um, but he was quickly his body was degrading. Remember they fought the giant they fought the pig in the um at like the Chinese uh butcher shop or something and somebody used a machine and like all the animals that were ha- hanging up that that had been cooked c- came to life and a giant cooked hog came out of the uh like cooler and it attacked them and they had to fight it. You don't remember that? Vaguely, yeah, I do. But it's yeah. it's it's a poor reflection on the Phantom that you're more. Oh no no no! I, I was just, I'm just going off on a tangent. We got to do uh, Dead Heat on Is It Jaws? Yeah, yeah, I know where that's going to end up. <laughs> but um, I remember that Treat Williams was like over the top, crazy, um, like scenery chewing villain. And um, wow, was who was the other guy? What was in that? Well, you see, Patrick McGowan was was he was the. Um, he was Billy Zane's father, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's what it says. Phantom's dad. Phantom's dad. Don't really remember anything about the about the score, though. The score is by... I was just looking this up a second ago. It's by David Newman. Um, Newman. Probably not a name that's, that's terribly familiar to a lot of people. I really like him. He did... Um, some of the the more famous scores that he did he did both of the bill and ted movies uh, which i really like and i think i want to make sure i'm sure yeah he also did one of my favorite movies the coneheads movie uh he did the <laughs> score to that and you know laugh if you like but that is a great score in that oh no movie. no i, I was yeah. just laughing because i like the movie i was i was gonna go fast con- consume mass consumption <laughs> mass quantities yeah. One of the one of the Newman boys. This is a weird one for me because um, it, it was talked up a lot to me. You know that this is a movie that I should watch, seeing as how I, you know I, so I like uh, the Rocketeer and the Shadow films so much. So I made a point of tracking it down, and I started watching it one day. And I'm trying to remember why I stopped. And the only thing I can think of is that I start started watching it before I had to go to work, so I didn't have time to finish it. 
And for some reason, I just never went back and finished it. And that's not a reflection on the movie because I was really enjoying it at the time. I remember thinking, damn, why, why is it taking me so long to, to watch this? Because I'm really getting a kick out of it. And to this day, I still have not finished watching the movie. So I really need to go back and, uh, and rewatch it and, and really give it a fair shake because I was digging what I saw. Beyond that, the only other thing is I remember whichever movie channel it was that we had at the time, you know, pay cable, like, you know, HBO or whatever, when the movie was in production, I remember them having one of those, like, lights, lights, cameras, action style documentary shows about, you know, current movies that were filming or being made or what. And I remember them having a documentary about special effects and showing the bridge sequence with the, um, I think it's a Jeep that like flips upside down or something on a bridge in the movie. Do you remember the scene I'm talking about mm, and, and no. basically how they filmed it in the movie. And I remember thinking, Ooh, that looks really cool. Cause it looked very Indiana Jones ish. And I remember thinking, this is, this is a movie I want to see. And you know, here it is all these years later, you know, 20 years later. And I still haven't seen it uh, all the way through, but I need to. Cause uh, like I said, it, it looked like it was right up my alley. The biggest thing that kind of, you know, kept it off my radar for so long is that, you know, this is one of those characters I don't know a hell of a lot about. The Phantom being um, more of a comic strip character as opposed to a comic book character. I, I, I mean, I know who he is, but only in the broadest of strokes. I've never read any Phantoms, so, you know, he, he's kind of a blind spot to me. But, well, I was just reading here, it says, the film suffered the same fate as two other period piece comic book slash pulp adaptations of the night of the 1990s the shadow in 1994 which we've already discussed and the rocketeer which i believe <laughs> yeah. should be coming up on the list yeah see and this did, this and was, did not oh well I, i've just i've heard it described as that if you like those two then this one makes like the trifecta so it's interesting that those are mentioned in whatever you're reading right now yeah and it just says and did not fare very well at the box office in the u.s debut, debuting at number six the weekend of june 7th 1996 however since then since sold well on vhs and dvd um one of the things it says that billy zane's performance was praised by filmmaker james cameron who cast him for titanic in 1997 basically based on his performance here oh wow now this is directed by simon Winsor, who also directed lonesome dove which is one of my favorite things ever and that makes me more interested in possibly sitting down and watching this right just because like i said that that's I, to me, that was one of the great things of all time. So, uh, I don't know. I'm inclined to maybe give it a shot. And and from everything I hear about this, I'm I'm thinking it probably is up your alley, Scott. Right. Because it just just seems that that you know slightly off kilter thing that would uh, you know just appeal to you in general. You know, not not your uh, stereotypical story. Anyway, moving on to the next one on our list, number forty-three, Blade Two. Which got three votes and 14 points. Electric Boogaloo? Oh. No, not at all. Blade 2, I think, is the best of the Blade trilogy. You know, yet another mm. one where the, the second is the strongest. Uh, if I remember correctly. Oh, yes, that's the one, this with, one dealt the, with the, uh, with the vampire. Of more powerful vampires. Yeah, it was. It feasting was, it was... on the less powerful vampires. So it was Vampire versus Vampire Story. And, Sorry, and what were he, you say? Well, no, he teams Blade teams up with the with the vampire with the vampire hit squad, I guess, who is consists of Ron Perlman, 
and um, the one, I think it was a brother and a sister pair of vampires, which one of which, remember when we were discussing um, a few days ago, you and I and Andy and Blaine, we were discussing uh, Red Dwarf and the guy that plays the cat? Yes. Well, he's one of the vampires in Blade 2 that's on the Hit Squad team. I'm looking up now to get his exact name. I want to say it's... Hey, Norman Beatus is in this. He played Scud. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, wasn't he... Oh, what did he play? Was he... Um... Oh, yeah, D- Danny John Jules. He's, uh... He plays a cat on Red Dwarf, and he played one of the vampires. So it was another role where he had teeth. <laughs> For all of our time-traveling listeners, uh, this movie is actually on tomorrow on Stars. Norman Reedus got the beat us. Well, we don't. Uh, know. Who did the music for the? Oh, Marco Beltrami. Okay, cool. I like him. Marco Beltrami uh, did the Resident Evil movies. He's done a shitload of movies. He did the Diehards after. Um, oh, what's his name? Passed away. Um, Michael Kamen. After Michael Kamen passed away, he did the Diehard scores. And for people who haven't seen this, I think a selling point that might make people want to see it is that it's directed by Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. who has since made a much bigger name for himself. Right. Yeah, he act, uh, Blade actually has like a romance with um, with one of the uh, like one of the, the team, one of the vampire team. Hmm. Who's the big bad? Is it? Yeah, I think that's the guy. Thomas Crichton. Yeah, he's he's like the son of uh, one of the big vampire lords or whatever, but he gets infected or something happens and he gets mutated and he turns into like the super vampire and instead of just biting people's like lower jaw like separates and opens up, which is something that we've seen repeated now numerous times in other movies since then. You know, the whole bottom jaw, you know, I, well, I mean, I guess you could say Predator was like where we really started really? to see. Yeah, well, yeah, but this was like but in this, the bottom of his chin had like a small scar on his chin, and it actually separated, and it would have like another mouth would pop out. So yeah, I guess it was kind of like Alien. Ew. 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 <laughs> I have yet to see any of the Blade movies. That's it's on my on my list. Well, I would I would recommend you do them in order, but I think this is the best of the three. Even th- yeah, even though once this you is see the best Blade one, three, I wouldn't start with this one. I'd start with the first Blade movie. Blade three is just going to be Ryan Reynolds in a you know as. Deadpool without, you know, being Deadpool. <laughs> right. So moving on down, number 42 on our list is very popular. And I saw it once. And again, I, I hate to keep saying these same things, but I was I was not as high on it as a lot of people. I just kind of, I think I, maybe, maybe it was just a little too dark for me, as opposed to the original movie adaptation of this character, which was not dark enough. Yeah, but it's my understanding that this adaptation is more truer to the character than the other adaptation, which I know what you're saying. The other one was a little bit more. The other one was 90s silly action movie. Uh, I I guess we should say what it is. And that's that's dread from was that 2000, 2012. Sorry. Yeah. Carl Urban. Yes. As dread. And, And he does not take off his helmet through the entire movie. You never see his whole face. You only see the iconic Judge Dredd pose, which is with helmet on, just with the iconic chin. But tell me at some point he does say, I am the law. <laughs> I don't think he does. Aww. I, well, no, wait, I think he, well, he, it's only been a few years since I've seen it, but 
it was on Netflix. I don't know if it still is. Uh, I think it is actually. It basically takes place in one building. I mean, there's a few scenes where they're driving around, but then they're like trapped in a building with a bunch of uh, a bunch of criminals. Uh, what is it? Uh, the lady from Game of Thrones, uh, Lena Henley. She's like a crime mistress, crime boss, and she's got her gang trying to take out Dread all through the building. And it's like it's just one firefight after another, but it's good. I liked it. I liked it for different reasons. Just, I mean, I I like the other Judge Dredd with Stallone for completely different reasons from this movie. They're like apples to apples to oranges, but I like them both. But if you eat them at the same time, you go, what the? And I just eat. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like I said, it, it it's not that I thought it was bad. I just I think I got my expectations too high on this one. Oh, I had no expectations coming into it because I didn't even know about it. It was off my radar, radar, and I believe uh, Mr. Honeywell brought it up, and that's how yeah. I, I I knew it was even on. Yeah, that was. I think I had seen it on Chris's recommendation as well. Who was the? Uh, who else was in? I can't, can't remember the female lead other than Lena. Olivia Thurlby. Who? Rachel Wood. It's Rachel Wood. I'm thinking of. She's the second named on uh, IMDb. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I didn't see this one, and I don't really have any plans to, only because I have absolutely no it'd be nice no way frame it's... of reference for for Judge Dread. Well, it'd be nice if I spelled this, he'll be mad at you. Now. It would mm-hmm. be nice if I spelled Dread instead of Dread, and I got a whole different list of movies. <laughs> what the hell is Dread? What'd you say, Paul? I said if Honeywell's listening now, he could be all mad at you. Oh well, won't be the last time. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably still sore at me because I still haven't seen the new Mad Max movie either. Well, I, I just this that one I'm with you on because I in fact I've wanted to see the Mad Max movie and it's been whatever a year and a half but I just haven't gotten around to it. Where yep. did I see that? I saw that. Did I rent that? I think I rented it from uh, from Redbox. I liked it. It's good. What's that? Judge or uh, the uh, Mad Max movie? Yeah, yeah. So next on our list, number forty-one. Finally, something I can talk about. I've seen this. From 1977, (laughs) The Incredible Hulk. Is this the first two episodes of the... uh... This is the pilot, I'm presuming. Right. right? Like like the first, you know, don't make me angry, Mr. McGee. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Now, I I don't know. Who who do you want to go first on this one? You go, Scott. You sounded the most excited. Yeah, I, I love this. Um, I actually have this somewhere floating around the house. I have this on videotape. Um, I, I've always loved this movie, and I've, I've watched it, I, I couldn't tell you how many times, brilliantly put together. And there's a really good documentary that's out there that I, I've, I've never seen this on DVD. And I mean, I know it's out on DVD, so I don't know if the documentary is on the DVD or not. I would hope that it w- would be. But there was a really good documentary I saw some time ago that tells all about basically the origin of the show and how it came to be the way that it is. And it's a very interesting story because this is an odd one because, you know, you guys know me. I'm generally the comic book purist and I generally get really pissed when they stray too far from the comics material. This strays so far from the comics material, but has oddly become like the definitive version of the Hulk for so many people. I mean, for like an entire generation, this is their Hulk. And in some ways is still the Hulk that we are getting in 
uh, in the films. I mean, each mm. one of the films that we've seen the Hulk in has gone out of its way to do some sort of homage, either big or small, to this version of the Hulk. And, you know, setting the TV show aside, just taking this pilot as the pilot, I think, you know, we had talked before about some of the movie, uh, or I mean, excuse me, some of the TV show pilots that we had seen at the movies, you know, theatrically or whatever. And, you know, we mentioned before, like, uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century and Battlestar Galactica. And I'm sure I could think of some others if I ever really racked my brains. I don't know if this ever played theatrically, but if it didn't, that's a damn shame because I think this, you know, for its time was worthy of theatrical release. I think it's that good of a movie. And a lot of it is carried by the fact of, for one, it's a really good story. It's it's very intelligently told science fiction that takes a premise that, uh, you know, many of the people that were actually involved in the production of it, especially the guy that, that you know, directed it, looked at as patently ridiculous, but told it with such earnestness that you got over that that hurdle of ridiculousness and people that would never really dream of watching a comic book show or a comic book movie fell in love with this series i mean this is one of those series of the 80s that you know so many people look back on with incredibly fond memories and they don't even think of it as a comic book show they just think of it as it was a great tv show and i I think that's really cool and i think a lot of that owes to this movie you know the pilot movie because the pilot at least in my mind the pilot's still the very best episode i mean there were a lot of other really good episodes i think the second pilot was really good too but the pilot movie was just fantastic. And I, I think so much of that goes to Bill Bixby was just, you know, he was really, really good. You know, there's so much talk and we've done it in these episodes before about, you know, like Chris Reeve, a Superman and, and being that benchmark for how these kind of things are done. But I think sometimes that people forget that Bill Bixby was right up there, too, with his portrayal of, of David Banner and, uh, you know, really kind of grounded the show if you know what i mean gave it it really gave it that that believability and he was just you know i always liked him because he's just a likable guy how could you not like bill bixby he was just one of those guys that you know he was just always likable and uh that that was a lot of it for me i really enjoyed him and you felt bad for him especially you know with the lonely man piano at the end of each episode and everything (laughs) i really liked that but uh but yeah as far as the story just you know, so far away from its comic book roots. I mean, really, the only thing that that carries over is, you know, the scientists turning into the monster and the fact that gamma rays were involved. Pretty much everything else they scrapped. I mean, even his secret identity wasn't the same name. And I don't know if it's really true, but the the legend I've heard over the years, and it's been repeated so much that, you know, whether it's true or not, I think it's, you know, it's just one of those things that's become where everybody believes it's true is that they changed him from being Bruce Banner to David Banner because Bruce at the time was considered to be, you know, an effeminate um, or maybe even like a homosexual thing. So they, they changed it and, I just thought that was always kind of a weird thing. I always, as, as a kid, I always assumed they did it because, you know, there was Bruce Wayne, you know, from the from the Batman TV show and that they didn't want, you know, to use that name for that reason. But I don't know. I've heard the other excuse, too. But uh, yeah, I've, I've yeah, heard I always, it, too. I don't know if it's reality or apocryphal. 
Yeah, I, but, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I would say that the thing about this one that made it less than stellar for me was exactly what you said, that it strayed so far from the source material. Because I'm also a, uh, a Bill Bixby fan. I've mm-hmm. always found him to be an ap- appealing personality. He's, he's charismatic and he's likable. Uh, from, you know, My Favorite Martian to The Courtship of Eddie's Father uh, to this. <laughs> but when I saw this, it was never the Hulk as far as I was concerned. Because, you know, this this was in, in the stage where the Hulk was, uh, and I'm going to be politically correct, where he was learning impaired uh, in the <laughs> comics. And, right. and he, he had, a, you know, effectively the... You know the personality of of like a four year old, or, or the the mental capacity of a four year old. Hey, and you it, leave Lou Ferrigno alone. Hmm? Don't pick on Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> but you know, because it wasn't presented the same way, it, you know, this and the Amazing Spider Man uh, TV show, and then even you know the Captain America TV movies, the Doctor Strange TV movie, they all. It's surprising how. how I didn't latch on to them because at that time, you know, anything superhero was worth watching because there was so little. It's not like now where you have so much to choose from. Right. You know, so you, you would think are... I would have been more keen on it. But for whatever reason, they left me kind of cold. And I guess you you know, I was in high school either. at this time. So, you know, I, I had other other things to do. There was alcohol out there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember the um, a few years prior to the... Um... I don't know if it was on CBS, but there was, and this was prior to to Linda Carter being Wonder Woman on TV. The TV movie with Ricardo Montalban as the villain, and uh, it was Kathy Lee Crosby. Yeah, as yep. as Wonder Woman. Do you remember that, Paul? Vaguely, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, we had good old Khan, <laughs> that guy, Mr. Rourke. When was the last time you guys saw the pilot, though? Of, oh, of it's the been Hulk? years. Oh yeah, I, I yeah. I would be I would be very curious to. Uh, well, yeah, I know the woman that out again. that's in it with him, I think, is the woman that plays Nathan Fillion's mom on yes. plays Nathan Fillion's mom on Castle. Yep. I, I'm struggling to remember her name off the top of my head, but yes, you are correct. Had a, had a great scene toward the end there, because that was one of the, the things about the show, is that Banner, you know, there's something about Banner, the ladies loved him. He, he got the woman, like, every episode, and they could see so, the bad boy inside him. So, granted that you know, again, this strays quite a bit from the comic book origins, but I always liked the origin of this because Banner, um, he was he was kind of driven. You know, I mean, he he actually it was more than just an undefined. You know, he gets mad. I, I to me as a kid, I always interpreted it that you know, there's that line that Mark Ruffalo gives in the Avengers. You know, where he he tells them, you know, his secret is that he's always angry. And in this TV that's not series, Banner, I mean, that's. That's not Bill Bixby. No, no, I know. But I mean, yeah. in this TV series, I always interpreted it as he was always kind of secretly angry inside, too, because his motivator and they would kind of forget this and then come back to it at different points during the series. But his motivator in this very first episode in the pilot was the fact that he had survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. He he was a, a newly married man. And he and his wife were out for this drive. And this all happens like before the, the show starts because the, the movie actually starts with Banner in bed having a nightmare. And through the course of the, the beginning of the movie, you realize what's happened is that he's recently lost his wife. They were out for a drive and the tire on their car blew and the car flipped over. He was ejected 
and she was trapped in the vehicle upside down. The vehicle caught fire and she burned alive before his eyes while he struggled to get her out of the car. And he's this research scientist. And I don't know that they ever really explain exactly how he got into what he's researching, but what he's researching is people that under moments of extreme duress have performed physical miracles, which I always thought was really cool because there is a science behind that in real life. I mean, that actually happens where mothers, you know, Mm. suddenly find super strength when their kids are in mortal danger or something like that. I always thought that was really cool that they kind of tried to put some pseudoscience into this. So anyway, he's looking into that and eventually realizes that it has something to do with like the, the cycles of the sun with gamma rays or some shit. Yeah. It was, it was high bursts of gamma rays on those particular days. Yeah. Mixed with adrenaline and right. So he gives himself an extra boost, not realizing that the machine he's using is faulty and it like overdoses him with gamma. And that's how he becomes the Hulk. And I always thought that was really cool And they keep that motivator for a long time of this survivor guilt of of him not being able to save his wife. And I always liked that because to me, the the two best episodes of the whole series was the pilot. And then there's another one later on that was either, I want to say it was either a season opener or a season closer for one of the other seasons. I forget, but effectively it was its own movie because I think it was also spread over a couple of episodes where he remarried and uh, almost married Hartley. Yeah. She has the brain tumor. Yeah. Great and, episode. Really. And that was and powerful she, too. Cause he loses him, her too. And she, she teaches him how to put like, they, they had all these like dreamscape, like mindscape scenes to where right. he, he puts the Hulk in a cage in the desert and yep. you know, to where he can control them. You know, she walks him through how to do all this. And then they live in, Hawaii and there's like a hurricane that comes and she's out in the storm lost and he has to go find her and I believe she dies in the storm. Yeah. See, as a kid, I always liked that episode because while the show was, you know, obviously it's the Hulk, it's based on the, the, you know, the Hulk from the comics and everything. The show itself intentionally, very intentionally for a number of reasons, um, was never comic booky. So there was never a super villain. Um, I can only well, ever think of the closest thing. Where, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're. I think we we're going to mention the same thing. I mean, the, the closest Hulk? thing he got to was 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 uh, the other guy that was the other Hulk. Right. Yeah. But the other instance I can remember, and there may be others. You know, it's been a while since I've watched the entire series again. But the the only other time I can remember during the the course of the series proper was in that episode where he remarried the woman with the brain tumor because. In those dream sequences, he was actually two people. So he had, you know, Banner himself wandering through the desert and coming across the Hulk. And they would interact with each other. And I always thought that was really cool because that was like something, you know, that you would see in the comics where either, again, in a dream sequence or maybe through, you know, comic book, whatever, the Hulk would like be split into two people and they would fight or something or confront each other or whatever. And I loved that because for that particular moment, it was a little more comic booky than it normally would be. And I thought that was really cool. I, uh, I have really fond memories of the Hulk TV series. This was just the, you know, it was right at that age, you know, for me when I was growing up, you know, star Wars had just hit and all that. And uh, yeah, I was, I was a huge fan of the Hulk really liked that show. 
but particularly, I'm assuming whoever put this on their list, uh, I see here a couple of people voted for it. I'm assuming that they're talking about the pilot episode. And yeah, uh, yeah, I'm pretty I, sure I, they are. Yeah, I would give that high marks because that really is a fantastic little TV movie. Okay, and moving along, number 40 is Amazing Spider-Man. So that would be the Andrew Garfield opening effort. Uh, this one's got some pluses and minuses to it. I mean, there's, there's definitely some flaws. I thought they were kind of overstated. My biggest problem with this is I never bought Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker. But uh, believe it or not, that, I have I, not seen either Andrew yeah, Garfield outing. I, I was just going to say I haven't, I haven't okay. either. I'm what, curious. What I, liked, I did like that you had a quippy Spider-Man who seemed much more natural at it than Tobey Maguire had. Neither one, so far, you know, they have yet to have Peter Parker portrayed the way I picture him in my mind on the screen. So I thought the actual Spider-Man character was closer to my thoughts of what he would be. Uh, as, as Peter Parker, he was definitely way too angsty. So, you know, I had some issues with that. The uh, lizard was the villain in this one, and uh, it was done interestingly. I think this movie, like the flaw of this movie is one that they've had in so many superhero movies, and some of them you kind of just forgive it, and some of them it's more bothersome. Oh, they wait, wanted I to take get it through back. too much I of have... the mythos too quickly. I have seen the tail end of this. That's where he uses the cranes to get across the city? Yeah. Okay, then I did see the like the last thirty minutes on FX one time. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that, that eh, what, whole sequence is supposed to be awe inspiring, and I thought it was a little, a little silly actually. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the the lizard isn't kind of isn't really portrayed the way I picture him in the comics as far as the physical appearance. Uh, well, he did have one of the best Stanley cameos ever. Oh, uh, yeah, the library scene. Yes. Who's the cameo? It's. He, you know, they're, they're fighting on on the university or the the high school, whatever it is. And Stanley plays like a music teacher, mm. and he's got headphones on, so he doesn't hear that they're fighting behind him. And he's like conducting an imaginary orchestra, and they're fighting behind him. It was just just mm. kind of amusing. Mm. Uh, I I did like uh, what what's her name uh, Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. I thought she played the part well, but again, I thought they just tried to progress the character a little too quickly. You know, by the opening of Amazing Spider-Man 2, he's already graduating high school. So I, I thought they rushed through it a little bit. You know, I, and, and we did have another origin episode after having an origin episode, whatever, 12 years earlier. So I really didn't see the need for that. They did change some aspects of the origin. So, you know, I, overall, I found it to be an entertaining movie. I remember this was the first time I went with my kids to, uh, to like, the midnight premiere. And... Uh, they both got a kick out of it. They both enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it as well. My friend was there with his son, and I remember he was not so keen on it. We were walking out, and he was already cri- very critical of it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I see both sides of that. Yeah, I've, but neither I've of not, you have seen this? I've not seen either of the newer um, Spider-Man films. I, I just... I gotta be honest, I really didn't have any interests. One of these days, I might check it this one out. Just purely out of curiosity of two things, and that is, uh, I'm very curious how Dennis Leary uh, did it. I heard he was really good in it, and um, uh, I believe James Horner scored this one. And I've always been curious to hear Horner's take on Spider-Man because I remember when I read that he was going to be the composer for this, I remember being really shocked. I'm like, wow, I just 
love me some James Horner. I think he's a, a, a very odd choice for Spider-Man. I just thought that that was a really strange choice. So I've long been curious to see, you know, all right, well, what did he, what did he do with it? You know, how did it sound? And I, I still haven't heard any of it. So I'm curious on that level. But beyond that, I just... I really wasn't all that keen on it for so many reasons. For one, I don't really think that Tobey Maguire was quite done. I I enjoyed um, Spider-Man 2 and 3. I really am not a fan of the very first Maguire Spider-Man movie, but I liked 2 and 3. I actually liked 3 a lot, and I thought that they had some interesting ideas. They were floating around for a fourth movie, and then they scrapped it to make this. And I just thought the whole reboot idea was was a bad idea. And as it turned out, it looks like I was right because they only got two movies in and then they scrapped it and they're rebooting again. So, And I know now that, what's his name, Garfield has nothing to do with Twilight, but I still have problems reconciling that in my head that he doesn't. I still think of him as the kid from Twilight for some reason. And that also put me off initially from wanting to see the movie. So... I don't know. There's just something that kid looks goofy to me. He's got the big, stupid looking hair. He looks like he almost looks like a live action. Like, like if you melded Beavis and Butthead together into one person, <laughs> you know, so I don't know. He, just, he looks weird to me. He does. He does not look like Peter Parker to me. Well, I, and, I do like that, that he apparently embraced the role, though. And he was like going to, to Comic-Con in the Spider-Man costume. Right. And there was a lot of stuff about him, like visiting hospitals and things like that. Yeah. So, I, so I, I respect that about him. Yeah, that's cool. Moving on down, the next one I think you'll have a lot to say about Scott. Number thirty-nine, mm-hmm. with at with fifteen points and five votes, Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy. I think a lot of this movie. This this is right up there for me. Um, you know, I was talking before about, you know, there being a trifecta with uh, the Rocketeer and the Shadow. Uh, I think actually Dick Tracy could kind of fill that third spot. I don't think it's as good as either the Rocketeer or the Shadow, but I, I think it's definitely right in that same uh, in that same kind of category. Um, I remember when this one came out and being very curious, very intrigued, but... If memory serves, I'm pretty sure this was like the next big thing right after Batman 89. Yeah, yeah. And kind of treating it that way. Kind of well, looking it was at like it, the next big thing after for Tim Burton, because Tim Burton did that, right? Did did Dick Tracy. Not Dick Tracy. Um, no? oh, what's okay. his name? Danny right. Elfman scored it. All so the score. Maybe okay, that's, that's what you're what thinking. thinking. But I'm pretty, I want to say that... Um, I've never, I've never Warren seen Beatty? all of the. I've never seen all, all, all of Dick Tracy, and I think it's because it came out while I was in the Navy, and I was just really distracted by stuff. And I think at that time I had Madonna fatigue, so I had no yeah. desire to go watch it because she was in it. I think that was like one of the reasons why I didn't seek it out. So I mean, to to this day, I've never seen the whole movie. I've only seen bits and pieces if it was on TV, and it just. I don't know. It just didn't pull me enough into it to want to see it. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I just have no strong opinion on it because I haven't seen all of it. It was actually directed by Warren Beatty. I was just going to say, I had to look that up to make sure of my facts. But yes, it was directed by Warren Beatty. Um, this was this was an attempt, I thought, to really bring the comic to the screen. You know, with the incredibly bright colors and you know trying yeah. to to bring the Dick Tracy rogues gallery in and have them be just as 
basically just as silly as, as they were in the comic strip. And I think it successfully did that, and I give it a lot of credit for that. Uh, the story never really pulled me in, though. I never felt like... The way, you know, we, we ended last episode talking about Popeye and how that brought the comic strip to life, mm-hmm. or the cartoons to life, however you want to look at it. Uh, that, to me, was done so much better than this, as far as my own personal tastes go. Uh, you know, this was okay, uh, but it, it, didn't, it never really... I was, I was never really totally engaged by it. It's it's one of those weird things because it has a lot working for it. Um, in in a weird way, I mean, this movie it was a huge hit, and I always looked at this movie as this was a blatant. And this is why I almost wrote it off when it came out because to me it seemed like this was a blatant attempt by somebody to go, "Holy crap! Did you see that Batman movie? It just made a shitload of money." Let's let's grab a comic property quick and and ride some coattails. That's exactly what it always felt like to me. And I still maintain that that's really what this is, is that this was a quick money grab. But something in the way the movie was put together worked. And it's funny because in a lot of ways, I don't think it should have. Because, you know, I think one of the things that really hurts, uh, say, the shadow for example, and definitely the Phantom, and arguably even the Rocketeer, was lack of recognition from the audience. I mean, uh, another great example, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, which I still maintain is a great movie. But the, the, the movie-going audience, I don't think they really knew who the characters were. And in a lot of ways, I think that that really could have hurt Dick Tracy because it pains me to say as a as a comic guy, I really didn't know shit about Dick Tracy going in. I knew who he was and I knew he had a rogues gallery of very colorful villains, but I couldn't have named you one. You don't and know so, Dick Tracy. Right. So, you know, it, it I think it's a testament to you know it being a really fun and enjoyable and, and more or less solid movie that it did as well as it did but i think the things it really had going for it for one i think it's very smartly directed it's not the greatest story in the world in a lot of ways it's your standard you know uh gangster movie of you know whatever the time periods i think it's the 30s the 30s or 40s so in a lot of ways it's kind of standard gangster fare but Beatty is really earnest as Dick Tracy, and that's like Dick Tracy's thing, is that he's the earnest, unflappable, uncorruptible police officer in a, in a filthy city. And so I liked that aspect, and he played it that way. Uh, it's got a very colorful cast of not only the characters in the movie, but the people that, you know, that they chose to play them. I mean, they get some really fun actors to play these roles. The score... Uh, by Danny Elfman is absolutely fantastic. This is that classic era of of Danny Elfman, where when he just he could do no wrong. He had a string of really great soundtracks. You know, he had Beetlejuice and Batman and Dick Tracy and uh, Edward Scissorhands and Darkman and just all these great scores coming out back to back to back. This is a great one, and it's a damn shame it still has not had a full release after all this time. It still has the same old limited release it had originally um the thing it has working against it however um unfortunately is madonna now she's not horrible in the movie but there's too much of the movie where it feels like 
you know, movies firing, it's it's working, everything's going great. And it's like, oh, time out, let's have a Madonna music video. And it's like, what the <laughs> hell? And, and Batman 89, to me, suffered the same thing with Prince. You know, the movie would be more or less working, and it's like, oh, time out, let's have a Prince music video. And I hate that shit, you know? And they did the same stupid thing here with, with Madonna. Um, fortunately, though, she is kind of integral to the the plot of the movie so if you you know there's there's scenes with her that are just you just kind of have to groan through them because she keeps putting the moves on dick tracy and he keeps rebuffing her and that just happens a little too much in the movie but ultimately you do at, by the end of the movie understand why she was in there because she's actually very integral to the plot of the movie um, I would say if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a long time, check it out. It actually is a really good um, comic book movie, I think, or, you know, com- comic movie. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. And I, I think the visual aesthetic of it is uh, is pretty cool. And uh, I don't know what ever happened to the, the actor uh, that played the kid. I know he was in this and he was in Hook. And beyond that, I think he just like disappeared off the face of the earth. But he's really good as the kid. Uh, in this and i like him too he's he was a good little actor so yeah not a bad movie dick tracy i i dig this one i dig this one a lot all right next at number 38 all right we're up to 38 yes big hero 6 now i thought this was an odd choice for marvel to make as a movie and uh i was well, not really familiar with the source material and as i understand it it doesn't matter that you're not so familiar with the source material. Yeah, it doesn't it's... matter because the final product is not very connected to the source material. Now, I've never seen the movie, but I have read the Big Hero. Uh, it was like Sunfire and Big Hero 6 was like a team. Right. So... You've not seen this? Nope. nope. It's very entertaining. Yeah. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like a Marvel movie or a Marvel animated movie uh, when you're watching it. It just feels like it, it, it kind of feels like a Pixar movie. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it's very much in the vein of, like, say, uh, The Incredibles or something like that. Yeah, I will agree with that. I, uh, There's a couple I've... of little connections, little Easter eggs that connect it to the Marvel Universe. But overall, you know, it, it, it again, it doesn't really feel like a Marvel, Marvel movie so much. But as I said, very entertaining, I thought. Yeah, I uh, I love this movie. I think it's really good. Um, definitely one of those uh, those movies that can bring the man tears by the end of it. Um, I actually the first time I, I watched this start to finish at the end of it, I found myself feeling really guilty that it had taken me so long to watch it because I didn't go see it when it came out. I didn't race right to the red box or whatever and rent it when it first came out. I mean, it was a it was out for a good long while before I finally made the time to watch it. And I remember, or I, I forget rather, why I ended up watching it. I think it was somebody just kept pestering me about it at work or something and saying, oh, God, you got to see this movie. And I finally did it. But the reasons I resisted it was, for one, it just it looked like Japanimation to me. And I'm just put off by that whole thing. I don't like anime. I don't like that whole thing. Um, plus, I hadn't seen Big Hero 1 through 5. So I just, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't really know what I was in for, what to expect, and I had kind of my own preconceptions of what it was going to be, none of which um, were true in, in the in the you know in the final product. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie and I highly recommend it. It's a really good uh, movie. It's it's very engaging, it's very heartwarming and I'm trying to think of how to describe the movie. It's it's almost like, you know, 
take like the Incredibles, Wall-E, and and Up, and kind of put them in a blender, and that's almost kind of like what you've got with this movie, in a yeah, lot of ways. That's not a bad description, actually. Yeah, and uh, and I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. You know, it, it, the superhero thing, to me, in this kind of takes a backseat to more of. Uh, it's it, you know it's just a good heartwarming you know a, a boy and his robot kind of tale and uh, and it's good it's it, you know if you walk away from this movie not loving Baymax you just don't have a heart because he's just a, he's such a sweet and lovable character you know you just want to give him a hug. Well, I know my daughter Sarah that she liked this she liked the movie because she had seen it in the theater and so I know she gave it rave reviews. Knowing you as I do, Bill, I can't imagine you would not love this movie. I think you would really like it. I got a heart of stone, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I heard you had no heart at all. My heart's in my butt. That's why I get stuck in seats, because it's so big. Oh, before we move, I can't believe I almost forgot this. Um, This was also scored by um, Henry Jackman, who scored um, Captain America First Avenger, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Um, What else has he done? Um, Some other Marvel Marvel stuff as well. I'm blanking. Civil War, I think. Yeah. Mm. Very good, very good. Composer. Oh, and uh, X Men First Class. Ah. Very good composer. Yeah, it's a good score. Okay, next on the list, number thirty-seven, Hellboy Two: The Golden Army. Now, I saw the first Hellboy movie, which I enjoyed. Uh, I thought I thought it was very entertaining. I'm not really that familiar with the source material. I've read very, very little Hellboy. Uh, this one I haven't seen, and I have heard from various sources that people who do enjoy the source material think this one is, super- is the superior Hellboy movie. And this is also, I guess, uh, a Guillermo, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Toro that guy, uh, yeah. Movie. Yeah, so. Guillermo. That's that's William in Spanish. So yes. he's he's Bill del Toro. Doctor Guillermo. <laughs> El Doctor Guillermo. Guillermo del Robinson. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I I I like Ron Perlman as the character of Hellboy. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, but I don't have a lot to give you on this one because I haven't seen. Um, this. I saw. I bought this on. I didn't see. I haven't seen e- either of these in the theater, but I kept seeing Hellboy uh, so many times. It was when um, Comp USA was going out of business, and I kept going in there looking at stuff and like playing on some of their TVs. They were playing the Hellboy movie, and I kept just. I was coming in the scene to where they resurrect uh, Rasputin. And it was just such a striking scene on all the big, te- you know, it's like, you know what, I just got to get this movie and watch it. And then I enjoyed it. And then when two came out, I didn't see it in a the theater. But then when it came out on DVD, I went right out and bought it. And uh, I like this movie. It's really it's got some really creepy stuff in it, though, with um, like, I think the creepiest thing in here is these small creatures called the tooth fairies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually just eat basically calcium. They eat bone. And they they like get released in this auction house and just basically eat all the people in the uh, in the auction house. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of gruesome, but uh, but it goes really it really goes way deeper into like the the mythical world and ideas that were explored in the first movie. Did you say you did see the first movie, Paul? Yeah, I did. Okay, so I mean this goes even even deeper into things. And there's this whole, it's kind I mean, you could kind of think it, it kind of touches upon the whole, maybe a little bit of a Tolkien-esque, because there's a, uh, there's like three pieces to a belt that they need to control the Golden Army, and um, 
like it's uh, like the king of the elves has one, and then his two his two uh, progeny they each have a piece, and it's all about trying to get all those pieces. You know, the one prince decided he's had enough of the surface world because there was supposedly a truce, and the golden army would never be used to attack the humans. But the humans have just pushed back so much that they've decided he's decided he's had enough of our shit, and he's going to get rid of us using the golden army. Um, so it's and and in fact the the, the movie starts as uh, uh, John Hurt re, re, reprises his his role and he's telling little Hellboy baby Hellboy the 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 story of the Golden Army and it's done in like a like a not an animated but like, almost like a stop motiony type animation um, through through the o- opening credits and it's it's an it's a good, enjoyable movie. Have uh, Have you seen it, Scott? I have not. No, my uh, my sole exposure to this movie is on one of the Danny Elfman uh, anthology uh, collections. There's a track from this. I don't know if it's a suite or the main mm. title or what, but the music is really good. But that that's it. That's my sole connection to uh, to the movie. Um, the character of Hellboy uh, is a huge blind spot for me. I have his first appearance in John Byrne's Next Men, and I think that's the only thing I've ever been exposed to with the character. So I, I really don't know anything about him at all. Mm. Okay. Moving right along. At number 36, we have from 1981, Heavy Metal. Headbaggers in leather. Na 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 That was the. Uh, that's the uh, Sammy Hagar. It's a one-way ticket to midnight. Call it heavy metal. Yes, yeah, no. This was on my list. I put this. I was one of the people that put this here. Now this is another midnight movie. Movie. And mm-hmm. I don't know if the stories are taken directly from Heavy Metal magazine. Or if they're just stories of the style that were the stories that were in Heavy Metal magazine. Maybe you know a little more about that than I do, Bill. I was looking that up on uh, Wiki. I do know it's very heavily heavy with music, and um, I'm looking up on the Wiki right now. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the different. There's a couple parts in this movie that always I kind of snooze and fall asleep on, and it's the one. The one I always seem to have a hard time getting through is is uh, the Bruce Willis sec- section, um, where he's the cab driver, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just kind of like Bruce they Willis. Play, yeah, he play, he. There's a lot of people in this movie. Hmm. Yeah, he he plays. Uh, he basically plays the character he'll play in uh, um, the Fifth Element. Hmm. <laughs> he plays okay. in heavy metal. He's he's a cab driver in a futuristic he's... Earth. He's not listed in the wiki, so that's interesting. I swear, okay. I swear that was an IMDb either. Actually, are you sure who plays? I could have swore he plays the cab driver. I don't know. Hmm. All right, what does it have on on? If I knew what the cab driver's name was. I might be able to. Uh, Harry, Harry, Harry Canyon. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's... The actor is Richard. I did it. A girl. Oh, no, never mind. What's that? What is it? What? No, nothing. I thought that was Bruce Willis that did that voice. Apparently, not so much. Huh? Well, what do you know? You learn something new every day. Now I hate this movie. I want it off my list. Oh, I know that guy too. I've seen him before. Oh, okay. A lot, a lot well. of Second City TV people. Yeah, yeah. Had John, John Candy, Eugene John Levy, Eugene Levy, Joe Flaherty. Uh, I saw uh, Harold Ramis. A lot of Second uh, City. 
uh, well, uh, what, what, what's his name? Um, oh, John Vernon plays uh, the Submariner. Yes, he is in here. He he plays the prosecutor. When when um, in the Captain Stern se- se- segment, when he's reading off the charges against Stern. This movie's only ninety. That can't be right. Is it really only ninety minutes? Yeah. Wow. Okay. It felt like forever. Well, the yeah, whole it, it, it the did. Whole interconnecting thing through here is is basically there's this orb, this glowing evil looking orb that has this little girl trapped in in, in a house, and he's the the orb is telling her all these stories of his evil with the Lochnar and how this little green orb it interacts with each. Um, in each story, uh, what do you got? the The scariest one out of there was the was the one with uh, the B seventeen, with the um, um, where it crashes into the plane and then it starts to reanimate the dead guys, and the pilot ha- has to bail out and then he crashes on, on an island where there's all these uh, other planes have crashed and then they're all like these green glowing zombies and they start to come after him. Yeah. Hmm. Guys, just didn't get into this one. I remember or you have to, seeing it. I, and, I actually know, own it on videotape, so I was mildly interested in it, but it kind of lost my interest as it went on. I often quote this, like like with certain things, like like if I hear somebody say 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 the name Stern, I'll go Stern, because remember the one guy turns into like a Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde when he's on 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 the stand. His name's Hanover Fist. And he's this mild-mannered little meek guy, and then he just starts to freak out and get all pissed off, and he just bulks up, and he's chasing Stern through the space station. You don't remember this? Nothing? No. Nope. Oh, man. No, I was I was made it's to sit through me. this once, and it sure as hell felt like a lot longer than ninety minutes. <laughs> um, well, I mean, in, this was in fairness, enough to four people put it on their lists. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, my my big prejudice against this movie actually has nothing to do with the content of the movie whatsoever. But um, you got to remember, you know, back when I first got out of the service. Um, for several years, I was working in uh, videotape sales at a time when that was a brand new and very novel concept that a lot of people just couldn't get their mind around. Like, who the hell would buy a movie, right? Mm, and there were several movies that every single friggin' day somebody would come in looking for them. And I can remember one of them being Song of the South. Um, I'm trying to think of what some of the other movies were, um, but I know heavy heavy metal was one for years that every single day, every goddamn stoner that lived in Watertown would walk in looking for heavy metal. And it would just it was one of those things where you would see them coming and you could just go, nope, we don't have heavy metal. Nope, it's not out on videotape. And it just, hey, you know, it just, it, movies like, you know, when it when it was that sort of thing, when it was just day after day after day, it just made you hate it, you know? So when it finally came out on video, we thought it was going to be another Batman. Like it was like this movie is just going to do gangbusters when it finally hits video and it finally came out and it didn't do shit. And so it just made me hate it that much more. So again, it has nothing to do whatsoever with the content of the movie. It was just one of those things where, you know, you just, you just got to hate it as a retailer. You know what I mean? Mm. But yeah, it's neither here nor there. (laughs) But yeah, I was uh, I sat through it once. I want to say it was, and more than likely it had to be Honeywell that wanted to see it, and and we watched it late as night, late at night. And I can just remember getting like nothing out of it. I didn't like the music. 
I remember the animation being okay, but I just remember it feeling like it just went on forever. And come to think of it, we may have been watching it on like late night TV or something, so it was probably commercially interrupted too. And it may have even been um, edited, so like all the good stuff was. I, I just remember watching it and being like thoroughly bored and unimpressed with with any of it at all. And as somebody who has never partaken in of any substances i just you know i just felt like this just wasn't meant for me you know it was meant for somebody that could you know get altered and really get into it and that just was never me so yeah it just it just never did anything for me sorry Mm. all right next we go to number 35 on our list voted just two people but one of them voted it as their number one movie kick-ass from 2010 Based on the Dem- Mark Miller cartoon, uh, cartoon comic of the same name. Um, never seen it, never read it. I read yeah. it, and I thought it was a different look at the superhero genre, because it was basically a kid with no powers who putting himself out there, and you know, his name may have been Kick-Ass, but he was getting his ass kicked, pretty much. Uh, and I, I thought it was a, you know... It wasn't a great comic, but I thought it was different, and that made it entertaining. And I thought the movie was pretty much a standard retelling of the same story. Uh, the main character is played by Aaron Taylor Johnson, who played, went on to play Quicksilver in the Age of Ultron, or uh, the main, I don't even know what his character's name was, the main male lead in the most recent Godzilla movie. Hmm. Uh, I thought this was okay. I, you know, I found it somewhat entertaining a little dark a little bit low budget uh i'm a little surprised that it's number one on somebody's list but you know to each their own i definitely didn't think it was a bad movie yeah i've i've never seen it if i ever do watch it it will be for one reason and that's because henry jackman did the score to it and i'm very curious what that's like because i really like henry jackman but beyond that um i have no familiarity with the source material uh, I remember when this was being touted when it was coming out, and I remember seeing the John uh, John Romita Jr. art and just being like, ugh. So, yeah, I, that kind of has prejudiced me against wanting to see the movie, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I, I, I don't really have anything for this one one way or the other. I have no, no familiarity, no no touchstone with it, and to be honest, no, not any real interest. So, yeah. Sorry. Number 34, Batman Beyond the Return of the Joker, the animated feature from 2000. Uh, Was this combined, like a couple episodes combined into a movie? Because I think I've seen it that way. Because I, I remember the the Joker, uh, was he, did he physically return or was he like a computer manifestation? Am I remembering uh, it? Well, he, you're going to you're gonna completely spoil it. Yeah, but that's yeah, what I was going to say. Whoop, the, the Joker himself um, is dead. But what he managed to do was... All right, so... I'm sorry, Paul. I didn't mean to cut you off before. Did you Did you want to go first on this one? Well, I was, I was hesitant to spoil how Catch the Joker the bag. comes back. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I thought I think that's one of the most clever and disturbing things about the movie. Yeah. This is definitely not an animated feature meant for young kids, because it is a little disturbing. But I think it was very well done. I, I think this, this deserves its spot on the list, honestly. Well, was it... Was it originally the episodes of the show and then put no, together I mean, in a movie? Was, it was no, made it's, as a it's no, it's a yeah, it was oh, a okay. direct direct to video feature. Mm. Um, I don't believe it was ever done theatrically. I could be dead wrong about that. If anybody 
knows or more importantly if anybody ever did see it theatrically uh please let us know i'd be very curious about that yeah i'm not Um, sure if it was if it was i'm pretty confident it was not in wide release right my uh my story on it um i was never a fan of batman the animated uh, excuse me um let me correct that i was a big fan of batman the animated series i was never a fan of batman beyond i remember when batman beyond debuted um and i watched the pilot and i may have watched the first few episodes and I, I understood what it had going for it. I thought the premise was interesting, but I just couldn't get into it somehow. And one of the things that was bugging me was that it was, uh, unless I'm remembering this incorrectly, I, I think it was concurrent with the series still going on at the same time. And that just seemed odd to me that you're showing me, um, you know, this this character, you know, in way into his future and everything while his regular series was still going just seemed odd to me. Um, but anyway, I, c- I could not tell you now who it was. It was probably somebody I worked with or something, but somebody um, saw this and was talking it up to me. So there's actually two versions of this movie that exist. And uh, so, I mean, we already spoiled and let the cat out of the bag that the Joker's dead. But there's a there's a great flashback, and, the, and to me, it's the flashback sequence that makes this movie, because everything else that takes place in the current time period of Batman Beyond, it, it's okay. But it's the flashback sequence that makes that puts this deservedly on this list. That makes me go, oh hell yeah, because it's just great, and it's a flashback to within the timeline of Batman, the animated series. And it's the newer look Batman from the later seasons of that show. And in that flashback, it's, it's Barbara going, Barbara Gordon, who is now commissioner Gordon in the future, telling basically the final fate of the Batman and why Batman and Robin, the, the Tim Drake version of, of Robin, why they had a falling out. And basically why he stopped being Robin and and kind of why Batman became even darker than than he had been. And the in the two different versions, the Joker actually t- dies two different ways. And there's one that's extremely violent. Um, it has blood and it's just it's a, it's much more mature. And then there's the one that was the commercial release where the Joker dies a completely different way. It's still brutal, but to my memory, there's no blood and it's not quite as violent. So that that's like the commercially available one. Well, if, I, if I'm remembering properly, I think somebody gave me a bootleg of the, the more violent one, the one that has blood and everything in it. So that's the one that I saw first and that's the one that I'm still like emotionally attached to because it's just powerful shit. I mean, it's it's a really great movie, but particularly that sequence of it. And one of the things that really makes it is some of the revelations that come out. The voice acting is absolutely incredible. The the during the flashback, the part where Mark Hamill as the Joker is just mentally toying with Batman and his emotions and then when Batman finally, he, there's no other way to say it. He snaps. And when he snaps, there is this moment where he has the Joker. And for the first time, you really realize 
he's probably going to do it. He probably will not be able to stop himself from killing the Joker with his bare hands. And he's holding him. And it's one of the best pieces of voice acting I've ever heard for anything animated ever, where it's so low, it should actually be inaudible. And Batman just, he, he, he growls at the at joker and he just says i'll break you in two but it's it's just the you know i can't imitate it you just have to hear it for yourself well, it's kevin conroy the, so yeah the emotion in the yeah, voice that says is, a lot just there yeah it's it's incredible and chris carter scored this now chris carter is is hot and cold for me he did a lot um of the batman animated stuff he did some really good stuff he did some other stuff i don't care for um, he's responsible for a lot of the guitar and the really, to me anyway, off-putting sound of Batman Beyond, which was another reason I never really liked Batman Beyond. I didn't like the, the music choices that they used. However, in both the flashback sequence in this, which is very traditionally scored, and also there's a moment um, where the Joker basically comes to the Batcave in the Batman beyond timeline, those two sequences, the scoring is just, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's really, really good stuff. So yeah, this one to me is, uh, is right up there with, uh, you know, the very best of Batman, the animated series, which I already think is a phenomenal series anyway. And I think we'll be talking more about that a little bit later, but yeah, hell of a good choice. This, this is a great movie. Yeah, I agree. But again, I, I will highly recommend if you haven't, if you either haven't seen this movie or you've seen it, but you've never seen the um, basically the uncensored version, that's the one to seek out is the uncensored version because that's the one that's truly the best. Hmm. Next on our list is a movie that I think may be here more out of nostalgia than anything else, but it made four lists and it's 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So we are talking the 90s one? Yes, I believe so. I'm pretty sure that people specified, but... Uh, oh, okay, okay. You know, well, because I know there's been, like, what, like three movies with that name now, so I wasn't sure which one. There's always the possibility that I lumped one in it that was intended to be somewhere else, but that's what lumped I... Lumped it into ooze. Hmm? I, I like what you said about, you know, this may be nostalgia talking because I'll tackle it purely from that angle. It's been years since I've watched it last, but the last time I watched it, I was amazed that I think it still holds up. Now, I am a casual Turtles fan at, at best. I mean, I was there for the whole turtle phenomenon and everything, but I mean, I never really, you know, I mean, I wasn't a, a huge fan or anything. I just was aware of it kind of going on around me, you know? So I remember when Eastman and Laird put out their first, you know, books and I got the very first collection that, um, who was it that put that out? First Comics, I think? when they put out the first graphic novel like collection of the black and whites and all that. So I remember like the comic book version and thinking it was, it was pretty cool. And then I remember when they started becoming really big and there was the figures in the show and all that. I didn't get into any of that stuff. So when the movie came out, you know, again, this was, you know, right after Batman. And again, it, it, it also felt very much like, okay, let's just grab a property and, and try to make that Batman money, you know? Mm-hmm. But I remember going to the theater with my then girlfriend and seeing this movie and walking out. And to this day, I'll never forget the first words I said as we walked out, which was, if Batman had been like that, I'd have loved it. Because I was impressed as hell with this movie. 
Um, the fight scenes. I thought the fight scenes were friggin' great. I thought the turtles were excellent. I I loved the costumes. I I bought into this movie. It didn't. It it wasn't Howard the Duck to me. You know what I mean? I thought the costumes for the time looked really good. I thought the effects were great. Um, I I liked the fight choreography and the story was more or less faithful to the comic book uh, origins of the turtles. And, uh, and I love Casey Jones. Casey Jones was, I, I loved every scene he was in. He just cracked me up. He was a great character. Um, the, all of that said, I haven't seen it in uh, you know a, a good number of years, so I'm not sure you know what what time and distance may have done to it. But last I watched it, still still a hell of a lot of fun. Still a really fun uh, comic movie. Yeah, I remember it as being kind of simplistic in its style and its storytelling, but fun. Right. Uh, I, I don't remember seeing it and kind of rolling my eyes ever at it or anything. Uh, at the time, I guess I was pro- I probably watched it with my nephew, who's you know in his thirties now. Uh, but at the time, you know, he was a kid, and I, I would imagine, I, I don't even know. I may have taken him to the movies to see it or something. But you know, I, I've always been able to be entertained by stuff that was aimed at, at a younger audience than me, I guess. And uh, I enjoyed this at the time. Bill, was this this might be in your wheelhouse? Uh, yeah, I, I remember um, uh, the '90s. I was in the service. I think one of the guys had a copy of it. Um, I didn't see it in the theater. I mean, yeah, it was it was good for for its time. And yeah, I, I, the special effects were were awesome for for, for the time mm-hmm. frame back then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't really haven't seen any of the later ones or the ones that have come out recently. So I can't really see compare how the how the new ones stack up to uh, stack up to this one of the original trilogy. This was the only one that was worth a shit because I saw two and was horribly disappointed, even though I had. Yeah, even though I had David Warner in it, it was still it terrible. Had vanilla ice. How bad could it be? I was going to say, and was it, was it Vanilla Ice in one of those? Yeah, it was. It was bad. Mm. Actually, I think Vanilla Ice did the I don't know if he was in any of the movies, but he did the theme song in the in the closing credits to this first one. I think it was. Oh. And then three, I've heard was really good, but from what I saw of it, not so much. Um, I haven't seen the Michael Bay ones. There was an animated one a few years ago where Patrick Stewart was the voice of the bad guy. That one was not bad. It wasn't good. I mean, what, what, he was well, it was good, but it wasn't great. No, he wasn't Shredder. That was the oh. weird thing about it. He was some other villain I don't remember the name of now. And it set, if I remember properly, I think it set... Um, shredder up at the end but then i don't think there was ever a sequel unfortunately i don't think it did very well but the the animation was great it was really good but um but yeah i i liked this so i'd be curious to go back and see this again now and see what i would think of it now because a lot of those um early 90s movies to me are not aging as well as 80s movies are aging and maybe that's just because of the age i was when i saw them i don't know but I don't know the eighty the, the nineties to me just seems like it's aging strangely in comparison to say the way the the eighties are aging. So I don't know I don't know how this one would look now, but the last I saw it I, I was still impressed that I, I felt it held up. But I just I can remember going to see Batman eighty nine, and one of the big qualms I had with that movie was that Batman just wasn't badass enough. He seemed like he kept kept getting the shit kicked out of him too much. You know there. Especially there's that scene in the alley where he's fighting like the ninjas or whatever and he, he gets knocked out. And I remember that really pissing me off. I'm like, Batman doesn't get knocked out, <laughs> you know, by by just th- 
thugs. You know, I mean, if like a if he's fighting like Bane or something, then yeah, he gets his ass kicked maybe the first fight. But these are just like guys, you know, like thugs, and they and they kick his ass and knock him out. And that was one of the things I liked so much about the turtles is that the fight scenes were really well done. They they looked very realistic, but the turtles kick ass through that whole movie. And I really was impressed with that, that, you know, they 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 give as good as they get. And I really liked that, especially uh, Raph. I, I, I remember being especially attached to Raph uh, in that movie. I thought he was done very well. And the voice acting was good for the turtles, too. Um, one of them was uh, one of the Corys. Uh, I forget Feldman? which one. I think it was Feldman, yeah. I forget matter. which one he is, yeah. Next on our list, at number 32... With six votes, the Age of Ultron, 20 points for this. Um, I think this is another one like we talked about Iron Man 3 earlier. I think this may have been a little disappointment to people after the first Avengers movie because the st- I, I think the story didn't live up to the level of, of what they wanted action-wise. Um, I thought this was good. I, I mean, I don't rate it anywhere near as high as I ranked the first Avengers movie, but I thought this was entertaining. I thought this was a good movie. I thought this had some good moments in it. It was a little contrived at some parts of it that well, drops it down a little bit for me, but overall, I still found it to be pretty enjoyable, and, uh, I, you know, I, I thought it was a good movie. Uh, not You know, not great, but good. I think when you compare the first Avengers movie to the second Avengers movie, I think the problem it has is that the first Avengers movie was the payoff for all the other movies coming before it. And I think that's what I myself was looking for as a as a fan. I mean, I still liked it, but not as much as the first one. And then we seemed to get a lot more... There was a lot more setup for other things, for like the Infinity War and other things that's going to come further down the road. That it was, it just seems like the middle of a part of a story and not the finishing of a story, because um, there was so much many other things that were lumped in with it, which is, I think, what 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 you were saying, Paul. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of parts where, you know, clearly they edited some down for time, because I think this was long. I think this was about two hours and twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. And you know, things like the whole Thor, uh, Thor taking a bath. That, that, you know, really didn't pay off in the movie. <laughs> Thor taking a bath. <laughs> That's what he was doing. He hopped in the pool and he was taking a bath and he saw the future. Yeah, he was in a hot tub him. time machine. Thor went in a hot tub time machine yeah, and saw the future. Duck. His little rubber Mjolnir duck. <laughs> I say um, the quack. This is, this is uh, so far as we're doing this countdown, this is only the second one of my movies uh, from my own personal list that's, that's made it so far. Um, I love this one. I, I'm a huge fan of this movie. And uh, again, much like Iron Man 2, I'm not quite sure uh, why it's not held in higher regard. Now, it's not as dogs, thankfully, as Iron Man 2 seems to be. But it doesn't seem to get the love of a lot of the other um, MCU movies. And I'm a little baffled by it because uh, I've loved this one since I first saw it in the theater. And um, it only gets better with every, every subsequent watch. Every time I, I watch this. And this is, honestly, this is one that I pull out and rewatch fairly regularly. I've seen this one probably a good couple of dozen times now. Um, I always catch something new. And I, I really like this one. I like... Uh, the dynamic between, I mean, it's got a lot of characters to keep track of in this. Um, but I think that <clears throat> for the most part, it does a really good job with that. 
other than, uh, like you say, the Thor scene doesn't quite work because it feels like what it is. It feels like it's a pared down scene that was supposed to give you more. And it feels that way, unfortunately, in the in the final movie. Um, but honestly, the only real qualm I've got with the entire movie is the death of Pietro. I don't like that. It still annoys me. I, I'm like, you know, okay, if you were going to kill him off, do it do it further down the road. I was just getting to like this guy, and now he's dead. And I, and it feel it felt to me like like the token death, like like somebody decided. Well, one of them's got to bite it to up the drama level in it. So let's just okay, this guy's got to go. And it, 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 it yeah, exactly. It feels very contrived to me, and I didn't like that. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of bought into the conspiracy theories that were floating around right after the movie came out that they would bring him back because there's that scene on the helicarrier where they show him, and it kind of looks like. Well, they didn't throw a tarp over him. Maybe they're going to bring him back somehow. So I kind of kept buying into that, like like he was going to be back. And now we've seen, you know, Civil War and everything, and he's still not back. So I'm presuming that that's really never going to happen now. But I thought that was a shame because I thought he was really one of the better characters in the movie. I really liked that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I enjoy this movie a lot. And again, you know, on the subject of, of scores... Uh, this is also one that I would consider one of the very best scores uh, in the MCU library so far. I love this one, and I listen to this one all the time. Uh, what's fun is that this was a collaboration between Brian Tyler and um, Danny Elfman. And for a change, I felt like we kind of had the old Danny Elfman back for a bit because some of his tracks are really good. There's a track um, where you can clearly hear that his motif for Quicksilver is based on the scoring he did for the old Flash TV show back in the 90s. And I love that. I, I think that's that's wonderful. He didn't copy himself, but you can clearly hear where one inspired the other. And I, I think that's great. I, I love that because that was always one of my favorite um, Elfman uh, themes was the, the theme to the old Flash TV show. The, uh, the other negative for this one for me, for what it's worth, is I didn't buy into the uh, the romance between Black Widow and Bruce Banner. That kind of felt forced to me. I didn't feel the chemistry. Hmm. Interesting. But other than that, I, I, I also enjoyed this movie. I found it entertaining. I have watched it on cable a few times. Uh, so, you know, I think I think the criticism it does get is, is over, or overdone, rather. Yeah. So, I love the I vision. As far as that goes. I mean, again, I do have some qualms with it. I pointed out what I saw as the negatives on it, but I still find it to be entertaining. I love I, the I vision. thought the vision, I thought, vision yeah. it was awesome. Vision was great. Yeah. Yeah. One vision, vision. Oh, wait, no, that's, <laughs> that's Queen. Moving sorry. on down, number 31 on the list. Sin City, the adaptation of Frank Miller's uh, comic. I've never read the Sin City comic, and I saw the movie. Clearly, it is highly... Uh, it, or it replicates the strip very, very much, but I've, I don't yeah, really I've only know read too much about the comics. So I've only read one of them, and that's the one, uh, the guy that's yellow. You like uh, scared? I, no, 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 no. He's the guy that uh, they call him the yellow bastard or whatever. He's like the uh, he he's the guy that Mickey Rourke is going after that mm-hmm. uh, uh, that owns the club, whatever. or Goes after the stripper that he likes and all that, and then I can't, can't, yeah. Very, very, very stylized st- movie. I, yeah, I was just gonna say that. Very stylized. Very. I mean, I'm assuming it matches up to the rest of the books, the same. Did you see this, Scott? No. 
No, I know. I know what it is. No, not really. It does have. It does have Elijah Wood as a serial killer, though. It's nice to see him bust out of his, uh, you know, Frodo role. All right. Then we go to number thirty. X Men: Days of Future Pasts. This made it onto five lists, and it's listed as having ten points, but obviously it should be twenty. Um, ah, I liked this, but I did have it as somewhat of a letdown after X Men: First Class, which I think is one of the best superhero movies of all time. Amen. Uh, I didn't like that Brian Singer felt the need to wrest control of the movies back, and that's one of the problems I had with it. I didn't. I didn't need the Brian Singer touch. I needed it to kind of stay the course with what they did in first class. And that was my biggest disappointment with this one. It had definitely had moments that I enjoyed, but it went back to the, hey, we have to make Wolverine the focus of everything mm. again. And I didn't think that was really needed at this point. I thought we kind of broke away from that. And I, I like Wolverine as a character, but he had his own independent films coming out that really wasn't a need that we needed to have him dominate the X-Men movie as well. You know, that said, I did enjoy this. I thought it was good. I just, you know, like I said, after first class, it was a yeah. slight letdown to me. Well, if I recall from, we did a, we did a, we did a, a round table on it and I, I was a little down on it, but I was also, I, I had a kidney stone stuck in me at the time. So I had some, <laughs> I had some other things that was bugging me. Now, since then, one time at Best Buy, uh, and, and this one time at Bandcap, well, wait, no, Wrong, sorry, wrong, wrong movie. Um, but no, I picked up uh, for like four bucks. They had the the Rogue cut, which is the extended cut that has extra scenes with Rogue in it and explains more with what happened when they got back to the when Wolverine came back to the future. Uh, well, present, whatever, however you want to say it. But I haven't watched that yet, so I can't really tell you how much it changes the movie. But eventually, Wait, I they become assholes or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's their kids. It's your kids, Scott. You're in Gene's kids. <laughs> we gotta do something about them. I uh, I love this movie. I really do. Um, I'm kind of sad that it didn't make my personal list, but I was trying to diversify, so I tried really hard not to pick um, multiple movies from you know a particular franchise or, or a particular series of movies. I, I tried to pick like what I thought was the best one to represent that series and then move on to other things. Um, I wasn't entirely completely successful with that on my list, but for the most part, I, I tried to do that. But in all fairness, this probably should be um, somewhere in my top, maybe not top 10, maybe more like top 15 or something. But I really like this one. I think this is really honestly only a step or two below uh, X-Men First Class, which I will echo what Paul said. I think X-Men First Class is one of the best comic book films ever done. I, I think it's just uh, just about perfect. This one, unfortunately, is not just about perfect. It, it has some real flaws in it. Um, some of it has to do with the pacing. Um, some of it has to do with being, bringing uh, Brian Singer back and not just going with the guy that did First Class. Um and again, one of my biggest issues with this movie, and I know this probably sounds funny to anybody who's not musically focused like I am, but one of my biggest qualms with this one is the score. Now, I like John Ottman. I do. But one of the things that really brought X-Men First Class to my attention, seeing it the first time in the theater, was the fantastic scoring to that movie. That movie is so well scored. And 
Henry Jackman just did a, a just a kick-ass job on First Class, and then they, to me, it's like they took a step back. They went back to the old formula of the films that they were doing of X-Men before First Class. They go back to the same director. They go back to the same composer, and somehow something was lost in that backwards move. I don't think that Brian Singer did as good a job directing the film as what was done with First Class, and I don't think that Ottman brought his A-game. Now, there are moments of the score that I do like. Um, the Paris attack, um, when Rogue, um, excuse me, not Rogue, but uh, Mystique jumps out the window. Um, there's some really good scoring there. The entire heist sequence when they spring Magneto, the music in that is uh, that works because it sounds like a chanka chank 70s, um, you know, that it just feels like a period piece of music that I like. And there's one or two others. Um, but overall, one of the big hallmarks for me of a great score is not only does it sound good in the movie, but it makes a good listen on its own, you know, as an album, like if you're reading, you know, a book or something. And unfortunately, Days of Future Past, the album, is one of the most boring soundtracks that I own. It's just dull. It's just dull as dirt. Um, and that's a shame because X, uh, X-Men First Class is not a boring listen. It's it's a hell of a fun listen you know, away from the movie. Um, but that said, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I love about First Class. Or excuse me, about uh, Days of Future Past. I, I love the confrontation between... Charles and Magneto on the plane where Magneto basically is forcing the plane to crash because he's so pissed off. Um, there's some great dialogue uh, you know, between the, the three principals in that scene. Uh, again, the heist, Quicksilver's great in that. Um, there, there's a lot of really fun stuff with that. Um, I like Nixon, um, the way he's portrayed in it. I, I like the whole thing with the stadium at the end. It's just, unfortunately, it just didn't quite live up to what had come before it and i didn't like that so many of the characters that we came to really love and feel uh you know an attachment to with first class are very unceremoniously taken right off the table with this movie because we only learn of their fate through either a picture of them in you know a dossier as a corpse or through a, a moment of dialogue with magneto where he's listed you know he's running down the list of everybody that's been killed and that just felt like it did a disservice to those characters in the way that they were in the first movie, much the same way as like the opening credits of Alien 3 bumps off everybody that you gave a shit about in Aliens. You know, I, I felt just as ripped off because there were characters I, I really liked and so I wanted more of those characters. And now you're just telling me, oh, by the way, they died in between that movie and this one. Well, that sucks. You know, uh, they deserve better than that. So I was a little bit annoyed with that, but. Overall, yeah, still a good pick. I, I, I like this movie a lot. And every time I watch it, uh, it actually does climb a little bit higher uh, on my list. I, I like this one a lot. My, my biggest problem with this movie, or, or just the thing that like just annoyed me in it, is you know in the framing sequence at the beginning, Ian McKellen says, oh, you need to you know get me out of jail when I'm a younger man and you know I'll help you or whatever. And then they, they break him out and he ends up being the whole problem. <laughs> right. Like, it was like if they had just left him in, in the prison, they would have been able to successfully complete their mission with no problem at all. Mm-hmm. So, that, I don't know. That just seemed just a little annoying to me. I don't know. It, annoyed, it bothered me. But now uh, we, we get a little run here of movies that I haven't seen. So, maybe you guys can fill in the blanks on some of these. Next on the list at 29 is Scott Pilgrim. 
Anyone? I've isn't, never seen it, nor read it. Isn't this actually Scott Pilgrim versus something? It's like versus the Earth versus or the, the world. Versus, it's versus yeah. the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, something I, I know in the comic, which was produced by Oni Press, uh, Scott Pilgrim is a teenager, and he's dating someone, and he needs to defeat her, I think, 11 ex-boyfriends or something like that. And, and I think... Movie, one of them is... Uh, Captain America? Yeah, well, I think one of them is Captain America. One of them is uh, is the Atom. Uh, oh, really, Ray Palmer? Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> yes, Ray Palmer. Right around. Sorry. <laughs> hmm. So I'm looking at this on um, on Wikipedia right now. I have not seen it, but a couple of things I'm not. So it's directed by Edgar Wright, isn't he? The guy that was originally attached to Ant Man. Yes. And then got fired or bailed or something. So there's that. And then also Mary Elizabeth Winstead is in it, and I really like her. Because in addition to being a hottie, she's John McClane's daughter in the last two Die Hard films, and she was Mary Lincoln in um, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which I really liked. So I don't know, that makes me kind of curious about this movie now, and I had no idea it had Captain America in it, so that's kind of cool. So, Boy, it has Brie Larson too. Isn't she going to be Captain Marvel? I think that I think that's correct. I think she is. Yeah, I don't know. Now I'm kind of curious about this. I have absolutely not a clue what this movie's about, so that's the biggest reason I haven't seen it. I just, I've heard of it, and that's it. I had no idea what it was. So yeah, I don't know. I might have to check this out sometime. But yeah, I have, I have not seen it. Well, if you do, report back and let us know what you. <laughs> I will do. I will do so. Next on the list at 28 is V for Vendetta. So that would be right. another. Uh, what's it? That's an Alan Moore. Is it, Alan is it Moore. Now? I am so conflicted right now because here's the thing. Um, you know, I mean, I, I hesitate to call myself a, a, a an Alan Moore fan just because, for one, I know how you feel about him. Um, well, but also, I mean, hold on. this this is from I'm one of the people that put this on here. Well, I'm I'm kind of hot <laughs> and cold on on Alan Moore of late. Um, because to a certain degree, I do agree with some of the criticisms that, that Paul has uh, about um, Alan Moore. But here's the thing, and this is why I'm so conflicted, because on the one hand, I'm looking at this and going, wait a minute, this movie is number 28 on the list, well ahead of movies like Age of Ultron, Iron Man 2, and so many of these other movies, I'm like, no, come on, these movies are so much better than the movie version of V for Vendetta. But on the flip side... V for Vendetta, um, outside of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run, is my personal favorite thing that he's done in comics. V for Vendetta deserves all of the praise that Watchmen, unfortunately, gets. V for Vendetta is one hell of a comic book story. It's it's great. It's it's very deep. Um, it's one of those ones that'll that'll stick with you for years after you've read it. It's it's just it is really powerful stuff. Unfortunately, I feel like the movie almost completely missed everything that the series was about. It has some really cool visuals. It's very well acted by what's dude's name? Hugo Weaving. Uh, Hugo Weaving was great, and I like the fact that he never, you know, much like Dread, never takes off the mask, so you never see that it's him. And that, to me, is really ballsy for an actor to to do that, you know, to never, you know. So essentially, he's just voice acting, you know, the whole movie. Um, and I thought that that was really good. Natalie Portman's okay. I didn't think she. I th- kind of thought she was like 
why is she here other than name you know because she doesn't really bring a whole lot to it but i don't know my my biggest thing with this is i just felt like something was lost in the translation between the original comic book source material and the adaptation just something something didn't didn't translate over just it, it just the it's like the heart was missing or something just the, uh, there's an intangible quality that was lost um to me and i enjoyed it but i should have loved it and unfortunately i didn't i just kind of watched it one time was like eh, that's that's sad and kind of moved on um the other thing i remember right out of the gate with this was i remember sitting down to watch this and thinking okay i know this is a political story but can we please tell it without putting real world bullshit into it and just tell it the way it was intended to be told originally because this is very much a product of its time which was the 80s and the movie starts and almost right out of the gate there's a big old shot at george bush and i'm like god damn it and it just snapped me right out of the movie and i was never able to recover from that moment watching the movie and I wonder, you know, maybe it's one where I just need to go back and give it a second try, you know, a second shot, because there were things I liked about it. But overall, it was just, um, I'm not surprised that Moore refused to allow his name to be attached to the project, because it doesn't feel like the the actual source material enough to me, uh, unfortunately. Um, I would say if you, if you liked the movie or if you're intrigued by the movie, seek out the original source material because it's a damn fine read. Yeah, see, I, I, I watched the movie first and then read the source material. Mm-hmm. So I, I, didn't have, I didn't have a preconceived notion of it going in. So I think my experience, my viewing experience was a little bit different compared to yours. Mm-hmm. So, and then once I read that, that is a, that is a long, deep read. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What'd you think of it? <sighs> it's been oh, when did I read it? I think I read it a couple of years ago. It's it was, I mean it it everything that's it, there's a lot of things that aren't really spelled out for you so easily, right? That are in the movie. So you but since having seen the movie, I can I think I was able to pick up on things more where it goes. But there was a lot of exposition. A lot of exposition in there, from yeah. what I remember. Um, and it was kind of like the... Uh, it was done in the way, kind of like the way Frank Miller did The Dark Knight. It was a lot of small captions with, with a lot of TV reports. Or just, like, that's where a lot of the exposition was throughout the story. Right. So, did you... The, oh, mm-hmm. I was going to ask Paul if he had actually... Did you say you had not read this, Paul? I had not. Hmm. But you know, See, I, I've heard good things about it, so I, I'm not necessarily turning my nose up at it, but just I, I haven't had the opportunity. One of the things that always impressed me about the comic book version of it is that it is very political and it's very leftist and it is taking a big old swipe at Maggie Thatcher's Britain. And mm-hmm. I understand all of that when I read it, but it doesn't annoy me because it doesn't it doesn't preach at you. It doesn't try to convert you. It just presents it as this is the story and it allows you to draw your own conclusions. So I didn't feel like it was like it was propaganda. And so much of the movie to me felt like your standard, standard liberal Hollywood bullshit 
where they're trying to force an agenda down your throat. And I was super annoyed by that. I'm always annoyed by that. It's like, God damn it, I have a brain. Let me pre- draw my own conclusions. Just give me the material and let me make my own decision. Don't preach at me. And right out of the gate, they do that. And, and it really annoyed the shit out of me. And and it unfortunately, it really, in a lot of ways, destroyed my enjoyment of a, a movie. I, otherwise, I should have loved because it was adapting one of my favorite comic book stories and and it just it it just didn't it just un- unfortunately it just kind of soured uh, the experience for me now, there were things I liked though I did like the score I, I cannot remember the composer's name off the top of my head it was somebody I, I think this is the only score of his I own um, but it was a pretty good score the visual effects were really good and uh, the fight scenes with V were pretty intense because he kicks a lot of ass in the movie. So that was pretty cool. So there were things I liked about it. I'm, I'm actually, I'm due for a rewatch. So maybe, uh, maybe next November 5th, I'll dig it out and watch it again. <laughs> okay. And at number 27 on our list, the adventures of Tintin with 23 points. Um, Have not I, seen. I remember Tintin when I was very young seeing, you know, apparently it's a, I believe it's a French cartoon or a French comic strip. And I remember there was a cartoon version of it that they were showing little clips from on some, something on TV. I don't even remember what it was, but I do remember seeing clips from it as a kid. And that's, that's my full familiarity with Tintin. I remember, you know, he's got the little tuft of Charlie Brown red hair at the top of his head. Uh, and and there was a captain on the boat with a beard who who kind of looked like Popeye with a beard. Right. That's like, just, that's happy? as much as I remember. Is Tintin a guy, or I thought Tintin was a dog? No, I think Tintin is the kid, and then I don't recall what the what the dog's name is. Oh, silly me! I thought the dog was Tintin. Whoops. Shows what I know. A, isn't this a Steven Spielberg movie? I think so. Yeah, I have not seen this one. And I've heard who very names good their, things Who names about their kid Tintin? The dog is Snowy, by the way. Hmm. It's got 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I, I remember people talking about it when it came out, and they were, like, really saying good things about it. And I was thinking, well, I'm going to have to see this, but just, I never have. Huh, this has got uh, Andy Serkis is in it. The master Andy of, uh, what you call CGI motion. Yeah. I remember, uh, I remember seeing the trailers for this when it was coming out and thinking it ver- looked very Tomb Raider-like, but uh, but I have not seen it. I just haven't made the time for it. Need to. Daniel Craig. Yeah. Nick Frost, Simon Pegg. Oh. Yeah. John Williams did the score, too. I have no idea what it sounds like. I've never heard it. But... Hmm. Yeah, I, I remember this coming out. I remember the, the trailers looking very interesting and everything, but just never... Uh... Never did get around to it. I'll have to seek this one out and see what I think. Yeah, I, I think I, I also this. Oh, somebody did rate this number one on their list, by the way. Um, hmm. I, I think it's worth checking out from everything I've heard about it. So I will have to make a point of doing that at some point. Wonder if it's available on demand. Hmm. Don't know. All right. Well, knowing so as little as we do about that one, we'll move on to our last movie of the night. At number 26 on our list, Men in Black from 1997. Now, this is another one where I had no familiarity with the source material. I knew it was based on a comic, but I've never, to this day, I've still never seen the comic. But I saw the movie, I don't believe I saw it in the movie theater, but I may have. Um, 
and I enjoyed it. I thought this was just a fun movie, and it, it played on some of the uh, the stereotypes with the government agencies and that type of thing. And uh, I thought the acting was good by Will Smith and uh, Tommy Lee Jones. I thought the story was fun. I thought the threat was kind of enjoyable. You know, it, just overall, I, I thought this was just a, a fun movie, and uh, and I got a big kick out of it. Vincent D'Onofrio, yeah, and uh, we got to see what his spaceship was when we went up to uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was gonna. That's what I was gonna say. Is I've, to my, to the best of my knowledge, I've only ever seen this movie once. And really, years wow. ago, I really enjoyed it and everything. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw this on videotape. To be honest with you, it was that long ago. But, but being both a fan of the attraction at Universal Florida, um, but then also having been to Flushing Meadows now twice with with you guys. Uh, and seeing, you know, where, you know, the, the climax of the movie takes place and everything. I have been so curious to sit and watch this movie again. And why I haven't made the time to do it, I, I couldn't tell you. Because I really enjoyed the movie when I saw it before, but I, I remember so little of it. I mean, most of my memories of what the story is about comes from the little pre-show spiel they give you before you go in and ride the theme park ride. So right. I am so overdue to uh, to see it again. And... You know, sadly, the uh, uh, you know Flushing Meadows and the and the Paris, uh, the, excuse me, the Unisphere and everything um, have only ever been on film and in movies just a few times, and this is probably the biggest one um, because I mean it actually plays a role in the story of the film as opposed to just being you know a momentary backdrop like it was in like say Tomorrowland or something like that. Um, that has made me curious to to check. I mean, the Unisphere gets destroyed in the movie, you know. So I, I'm well, curious to to see it again. The the, blah, blah, the New York Pavilion was, I mean, has been in in a few films, obviously. Right. Iron Man two, and also the Wiz. Right. I think we had brought that up when we were on site there. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. This is I. This is a movie that you know I've seen numerous times starting in the middle or coming through and it'll be on a channel and I'll 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 keep it on while I'm doing something. Yeah, it's it, it's a good film. Will Smith is good, good in it here as uh, uh, he's good here but a criticism of Men in Black 2 later when when he gets Jay to come back, you know, he had been basically had uh, spoiler alert. He uh um he has to neuralize his partner at, at at some point, and then in the second movie, he has to go get him, and as soon as he brings him back, he's back to being the flunky, and that's the only bad thing I didn't really like. But well, I didn't like Men in Black 2 at all, honestly. Men in Black 3, on the other hand, I thought was pretty entertaining. See, that one I haven't that. seen all, all of. I've only seen the beginning and the end. I haven't seen most of the middle. <laughs> after after yeah, having seen Men in Black 2, I'm almost surprised that I bothered to see Men in Black 3. But mm. I did, and I liked it. Yeah, I've not seen either of the sequels. I've just just the first one because that's um, got Thanos as uh, young Tommy. Right. Lee Jones. Yeah, and, and he does a great <laughs> job of playing young Tommy Lee Jones. I think I think that really is the selling point of the of Men in Black Three is is Josh Brolin playing young Tommy Lee Jones, and I guess that's it. Well, yes, we only <laughs> have twenty twenty six. So that that's it for for the list for tonight, and we're this morning or whenever you happen to be listening <laughs> and we're going to have one more part to our movie countdown uh and i can pretty much promise this is the most mainstream part uh i'm looking uh, over that list now and i think there's only two movies on the list that i haven't seen 
that's what I'm looking right now. Well, one I haven't seen I own, but I can probably watch it before our next... Uh... <laughs> I got a lot of movies I own I haven't seen. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I think that's the only one I haven't seen is the one on here that I own. Actually, I think there's only one I haven't seen. And, we'll, that, and, you'll, and you'll learn what, which what, one that is when we come What's back the number? Time. What's hmm? the number, Paul? Because we, we have the list, but we don't say the name. Is number it number 20? 20? I, I've never seen number I knew 20. it was going to be number 20. Because I actually read the... I remember pick, picking up the the comic for that at the same time, or just before. Okay, well, when we get to number out. twenty, you can talk about it because I can talk about what made it famous and all, but I can't comment on the actual movie. And then number eighteen is the one I own but have not watched yet. I would recommend it. Isn't well, it's just fascinating if you're listening and you have no idea what movies we're talking about. Ben Ben wants to watch it. He when well, he's the one that convinced me to buy it, but I don't know if I should let him watch it. I uh, guess I, yeah, I should. It's fine. He's 15 now. It's fine. So next time around, you'll find out what movies we were talking about. Come on back again and listen as we get countdown to number one. What could be number 20 and number 18? Only time will tell. But if you're listening this late, then you can just go right to the next podcast and find out. Next time! 25 through 1. All right. We'll go out on that. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com please take a moment to stop by the two true site and check out their many other fine podcasts won't you thanks and we'll see you next week you make me sound like a complete idiot <laughs> well wait a minute <laughs>